Tim Robbins predicts the present, Tolstoy is back in cinemas, and the very best on-screen Batman. This week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a journey through pop culture, music, TV, video games, music, and so very much more. I said that through a burp like Rick Sanchez, and I apologize. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I no longer have voiceover, but I do have unicorn footage. <laughs> and I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am J.R. Rawls. Oh, man. <laughs> I think I like that character and the thing we'll be talking about because he doesn't talk like that. <laughs> like almost ever. The good the good Bruce. Anyway, anyway, there's there's it's a weird fucking week for programming and I may have made the weirdest viewing decisions of my this entire show. Just a bunch of stuff that doesn't match together. And also got to f- discover one of my favorites and a salute to holding on to your physical media because some of the stuff is not available to stream. Yeah, I feel like August has been really weird, and I feel like this is kind of the last week of the just, what the hell is this? Why have I never heard of this? This is dumb. Yeah, there's, like, there's... All right, we got some good ones. Next week, they turn into, like, regular movies come back, and this week's just all weird. It's weird. It's a lot of, I'll say romance, but it doesn't always mean comedy. But just a bunch of that, a bunch of uh, people kissing this week. <laughs> this week. Uh, 30, 20, 10. You don't know what we do. We look at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago. From this week, we're recording from September 2nd to the 8th. And we'll be looking back at what happened in 1992, 2002, and 2012. 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? Once again, thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash lasertime. Um, thanks to JR. We got up... Uh, episode of a movie that released this week i don't think that's ever <laughs> happened before and it was very random very random um but uh yes let's get into our first segment starting as we always do 1992 september 2nd through the 8th open up your 30 year ago portal and let's see what's happening oh look at that uh this is for some reason me just becoming aware of the jerry lewis telethon and the jerry lewis 27th muscular dystrophy telethon raises uh 45 million dollars that, that's a that's a lot of fucking money to raise in a, in a 24-hour period. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was such a huge cultural touchstone mm-hmm. for... It wasn't like it was anyone's favorite thing to come on, but it came on year after year after year that in 1992, even I, who was not really connected to charity runs mm-hmm. and never donated, I, I fully knew what this was. Oh, yeah, it's that thing. That happens every year. I mean, it was kind of like a punchline I, I forget exactly when it ended but it's i think it goes for at least another decade jerry lewis isn't dead until like five years ago <laughs> but, <laughs> but i think eventually i think the muscular dystrophy foundation found like this isn't very helpful that much anymore and it's also on another bonus show on patreon we'll be talking about how possible it is to indoctrinate everybody using only three channels yeah it, for a long time you could get eyes on a telethon by keeping it on 24 hours in a very 
very much smaller world. Um, Jerry Lewis stops presenting in 2010. 2010. See? I knew, wow. T- like almost 20 years into the future. I don't think I've ever watched a second of this except on YouTube because it, it does yield fascinating moments. The older Jerry Lewis gets, the more he's clearly going insane. And he's an old person who shouldn't be up this long. And <laughs> and he'd sing. God damn it. Sing earnestly yeah. to camera. I... In some ways, like, yeah, I sort of, I, I miss the monoculture. Yeah. I don't really. I mean, these are just, no. this this is just uh, flotsam. It's cultural flotsam. Yeah, I remember I'm trying glad to. glad they raised that much money for them kids. You can see the, the, the pivotal moments of the telethon. I mean, other than the kids who need the money. <laughs> but the, the pop culture moments on YouTube, and I think, I don't think it gets bigger with Frank Sinatra coming out to reunite Dean Martin with Jerry Lewis, who. Yeah, I think we're both. Uh, Lewis is genuinely surprised, and it's a really neat moment for a comedy duo that hasn't talked to one another in decades, mm-hmm. reuniting on live television. Movies of 1992. This is what I want to talk about. Not Honeymoon in Vegas. That was last week, but it's still number one at the box office, and I just find that so hard to believe that that movie was number one at the box office. What's the competition? Yeah, yeah, What's it going up against. Yeah. Well, one of my yeah. favorite movies, but we'll get to that at the end of this segment. Uh, we have uh, Donnie Yen, Maggie. Chong Cheng, Bridget, I sounded like I was doing something racist there, but I was just trying to pronounce her name. Uh, Chung. Chung, Bridget Lin, and uh, Tony Ka Fei Lung. Uh, yes, in, Tony Lung. Tony Lung. In uh, Dragon, Dragon Inn, the new Dragon Gate Inn? Yeah, Dragon yeah. Inn released in the U.S. Everywhere else it's better known as New Dragon Gate Inn because there are actually a lot of movies called Dragon Inn, and this really? is a remake of one of them from the 60s, and this movie freaking rules. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a kung fu wuxia epic, mm. you know. Yeah. So if if you liked Crouching Tiger back in two thousand and you started working your way backwards, you would have hit Dragon in at some point because it's big and dramatic, and they're like out in the desert, and there's like a evil overlord of this area is like they're the trying units. to depose him. Oh yeah, the he's units a unit. are That's the right. evil ones in <laughs> this episode. Um, and you know, it it's has a timeless story. It's about Jade, who is the innkeeper of a remote inn, yeah. where she occasionally seduces the guest, oh. murders the guest, yeah. carves up the guest, uh-huh. and then makes him to meals for other guests. You know, this is an awesome yes, concept. Do. And then, yeah, then a bunch of different gangs get together at the inn and they work to overthrow the bad guys. And there's an awful lot of fighting and punching and wire foo and jumping. Hell yeah. Kissing and jumping and drinking and humping, as we'd say. <laughs> I love that old song. Kissing and humping. And <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, dra- Dragon Inn is a good one. I mean, anything with Donnie Yen in this period, like mm-hmm. this is right when he's coming up and damn. And Maggie Chunk, too. It's just Everyone's good. I like Tony Lung, too. Anyway, yeah, Dragon Inn, a.k.a. New Dragon Inn. Uh, let me Dragon see. Dragon Gate Inn. Yeah. Oh, anyway, see how more my, foreign stuff. Uh, pronunciation is going here. I got some practice in the beginning. Javier Bardem, Juan Diego, Ana uh, Galina, Stefania Sandrelli, and Penelope Cruz, and Hamon Hamon, which I think means so my, ham ham. Ham ham. It means ham ham. <laughs> ham ham. Yeah, if you look at Wikipedia at the top, they're like, disambiguation, ham ham, character from Hontaro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to watch those both, actually, sure. But Hamon Hamon is Penelope Cruz's film debut. No shit. Yeah. That is way earlier than I expected. Wow. It's with Javier Bardem, who eventually becomes her husband. But before they got married, they've been in like 13 movies. Yeah. (laughs) They're always put together like, well, these are two of the best actors in Spain. So they got to be in movies together no matter what. That's probably how he proposed to her. It seems our acquaintance is unavoidable. (laughs) 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 But it's... 
I mean, I guess it's a black comedy, sort of, because it's like there's a bunch of different love triangles going on with like her and the son of the guy who runs the the big town businesses, one of which is an underwear factory and another one is a ham processing plant. <laughs> and apparently I, it's been a very long time since I saw it. Unfortunately, I did not rewatch it. But uh, apparently there's a lot of wordplay and puns in Spanish that just don't translate well to English. Mm. So it's like it, it's so much better if you speak Spanish, apparently. But it's still a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I remember this, like Javier Bardem is brought in to like try to seduce her away from the, the factory owner's son. And then like she he falls in love with her, too. And then uh, more love triangles. And yeah, Hamon Hamon. Hamon Hamon. Uh, could not find this either and uh, didn't want to pay for this next one. But it's no, it's bad. It, it, it looked awful, but it uh, it I, I wish we had a better word for that. But something that you felt like was ubiquitous in video stores like I feel like this poster is seared into my memory. Matthew Broderick sitting on a tree. John C. Riley, Michael Monks, uh, Courtney Peldon, Heidi Kling, Jeffrey Jones, Rooney, and uh, Matthew Broderick reuniting and out on a limb. Nothing can stop Matthew Broderick from closing the biggest deal of his career. Turn onto that road. Except a woman on the run. You can't just leave me here naked. An ex-con on the lam. Is this your son? Yeah. Two brothers named Jim. We were named after different people, though. Everybody freeze! And two cops who haven't got a clue. I haven't been trained yet. Matthew Broderick. Ah. Out on a limb. Rated PG. Ah. Any movie that uses the Midnight Run soundtrack and isn't Midnight Run <laughs> always sucks. So these are one of these movies from the 1980s and slash 1990s that I don't feel really get made today. Mm-hmm. It's almost a forgotten genre. You know, mm-hmm. it's wackiness in the real world. Like Matthew Broderick is just this guy living his life. And then a series of pretty crazy stuff happens to him one after the other. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like that was a thing in 80s movies. And I'm not sure what the most recent films in that genre That's are. That's a good point, especially in a small town full of yeah. wacky characters. Yeah. It made me think of Doc Hollywood reading the description. But yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's a little but wacky. It's a long time ago, too. Yeah, it's wackier than that. But it, yeah, I think I hate to bring it up, but the, the existence of cell phones, a lot of the problems he has in the film <laughs> could have been very easily solved. Well, he loses all of his stuff. He does. He's okay. So he wouldn't have his cell phone. The whole plot. But point anybody is, else driving by would. Yeah. The whole plot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess that's fair. Yes. and um, But if you didn't have one, yeah, you'd have to make contact with all these weird people in order to get your stuff back. Maybe you could do it where he's like, well, I'll just call everyone I know. I don't know a single phone number. Exactly. Well, that, <laughs> oh, please don't take my phone, anybody. Jesus. Yeah. Out on a limb, <laughs> thoroughly unremarkable, and mm-hmm. not a lot of people yeah. had anything to say about it. But but it's it's like Matthew Broderick definitely being a star. Yeah, and I don't think he has long for that. Mm. That's that's like a well, it's yeah. Like Godzilla that's... coming out <laughs> into the decade. oh yeah, well, Godzilla eventually. But <laughs> Godzilla is he the star or is Godzilla? Yeah, yeah, Godzilla is the star. True. Yeah, you know what was really weird is I found out this was originally it was released with the title "Welcome to Buzzsaw," Better and title. then while it was in theater, changed the title. Whoa, whoa! Like, when did wait, that what? happen? How did that happen? I yeah, I no. never. I never understand that, and I understand. I've been involved in some focus groups, but I've always found those people are r- rarely correct and tell you what you want to hear. How is Out on a Limb a better title of, than Welcome to Buzzsaw? People call it Buzzsaw yeah. for short. 
And there's yeah. and there's another it's, movie called Out on a Limb that made this difficult to Google. Not really, but Shirley MacLaine would be pissed. <laughs> out on a Limb is where we're not going for this film. However, wow. the next no. the next film is I have no idea why I saw this as a young person and it's connected to me because I can't say I was very political when I was 12 years old, but I love this movie. <laughs> I bought the DVD. I never lost it. It is unscraped and I pop. I have not had to watch a standard definition DVD for the show in some time, but that was the only way to watch this because the only way this is available. Look Ooh. at this effing cast. Jeremy. I had to cut it back just to the famous people. (laughs) (laughs) There was, it used to be twice as many people. Yeah. Jeremy Piven, Bob Balaban, Fisher Stevens, Jack Black, Lynn Thigpen, Helen. Film debut. You were right on that. Yeah. I was wrong. I I was off Never Ending Story 3 (laughs) was his debut. No, Jack Black's debut. Jack Black's film debut. And he is a little beady eyed psychopath. Which he did a yeah. couple of times, I think, as a kid. Uh, Helen Hunt, Pamela Reed, David Stratham, Tom Atkins, Fred Ward, James Spader, Susan Sarandon, Alan Rickman, Peter Gallagher, yeah. John Cusack, Gore Vidal, uh, Ray Wise, <laughs> Giunc- <laughs> Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring, and Tim Robbins in Bob Roberts. Bob Roberts, millionaire businessman, fencing enthusiast, recording artist. And senatorial candidate. He was a man that not only had a brilliant mind and a wonderful wit, but could also sing. This land is my land. Bob has a great vision for the future of our country and a great vision for the future of the children of our country. Hey, mister. Can I see your gun? He's amazing. He's a poet and a genius. JB there. It's, it's so here's here's the thing I like um isn't this is out a couple of years before waiting for Guffman and I'm not sure I was even aware of the mockumentary before that because because yeah I, I knew what Spinal I mean, Tap was Spinal I just, Tap but yeah. I didn't I hadn't seen that at this point but mm-hmm. I think we're pretty used to mockumentaries but they were pretty rare uh back in the day and i don't true I don't know what inspired Tim Robbins to do this but he's making his directorial debut writing and writing and singing all the songs. Oh, the premise of a mildly savvy media person, millionaire, deceiving the right wing into absolute chaos and journalists ends up end up being assaulted and murdered. It's yeah, the what the one yeah. journalist who actually takes the time to look into this stuff. Everyone acts like he's crazy. It turns out he's right. And it does he's not He's playing well crazy. We're supposed to yeah. this is not like a respected journalist. It is yes. definitely some guy who is supposed to trigger all the flags of this is a nut case. Yeah. And 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 uh, Tim Robbins is a Trumpian senatorial candidate if he he's were a Bob populist. If he's he were, one of the people. If he were Bob Dylan. And yeah. the movie is amazing and I am shocked it is not available anywhere to stream, especially with this cast. It it's one of the highest reviewed things on Rotten Tomatoes we've talked about on this show. Yeah. And it's available wow. nowhere. Yeah, it's definitely the winner of the week. It was it's like 96, 98%. It's like, yeah, yes. everyone, the only complaints people have is like, this This might be more for the Reagan-Bush era and less ap- applicable to now, to which I say, this is about a Senate race in Pennsylvania where you have a millionaire sweeping in out of nowhere, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and trying to <laughs> dazzle everyone with his celebrity, but not actually saying anything he believes in, just saying things he wants he thinks that people want to hear 
I definitely felt like this was being referenced like all over the place when Sarah Palin was running for president. Yeah. But then once Trump came in, that just pushed the narrative to him and only him. I, I you know? believe but it can be used for more than one people. People. Sure, but it, it just can... Tim Robbins had to. He, Entertainment Weekly interviewed him five years ago about the film, and I, he had to sadly like, yeah, the movie sadly came true. I, that I can't believe I, that's not what it was supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and speaking well, well, of, of not it's supposed, about a populist who does nothing but demonize others, yes, and says that you are the real Americans. Yeah, and I wanted to play because mm. the songs are. They're technically bangers if you like a mighty yeah. wind, but Tim Robbins was adamant like we are not releasing this right wing music because I don't want this played <laughs> in any other context where I'm playing the villain of my own movie. They're the, decent songs. This song's yeah. called hip, I, the idea of them co-opting the the folky protest music, yeah. with, you know, uh, of boomer nostalgia and using it against them. It's just like, whoa. Here's one that's of a step in the heart. Bob Roberts songs called I'm a Bleeding Heart. I'm a bleeding heart. Let's give money away to lazy people in the slum. I'm a bleeding heart. Let's eliminate our nuclear bombs. Eric's can be our friends. Right. Don't vote if you believe in that. We'll be fine with that. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. It's just in song form. It's the last five years in song form. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's saying things I don't think you could say at that point outside of song. Like, it's just a song. I didn't mean that. It was just mm-hmm. a tweet. A song. A song. A song. Uh, Are you a communist? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who disagrees with me and is I, a communist and hates God. I thought this movie incredibly prescient and just also oh. really funny all the way through. Uh, Alan mm-hmm. Rickman in particular is oh my God. really funny as his campaign aide and, and just hot off of Twin Peaks. Ray Wise in there as his campaign manager. I, I can't recommend this movie enough. The DVD's not even expensive. It's six bucks on Amazon. Man, what'd you guys think? Yeah, I yeah. I love it. Yeah, like I said, oh my God, Pennsylvania, why? Why is, <laughs> why is Pennsylvania becoming the Florida of the North? <laughs> and, and and the uh, the DVD has commentary yeah. with Tim Robbins and Tim Robbins and Gore Vidal. Gore Vidal, who's his his Democratic adversary, and I didn't know until he's he's unscripted. He's just saying what he believes, playing this Democrat Democratic senator, and it's wow. used to demonize him in the movie. <laughs> it's an absurdly interesting film, and like I don't know, like I watched uh I hadn't watched this in ten years, but I've watched like Face in the Crowd uh, a bunch recently because tcm won't stop playing it we get it it's important more important now than ever but uh somebody should pick this up again because like it 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 stings with its predictiveness will you believe this uh this uh, electoral candidate who's uh unpopular with liberals is hosting snl and the cast is a huge like all this shit ended up happening and and (laughs) the cast doesn't want to perform and it's I love that John Cusack's in there because they're old buddies. Uh, yeah, it looks like and it looks like Tim Robbins per, like vacuumed up every phone number from the player and got like almost all those people in this film, uh, like less than a year afterwards. Yeah, and so many of them. It's like it's just one scene, and they freaking hit, <laughs> and then they're gone. You're like, yep. <laughs> and and there's okay. not enough written about this, in my opinion, and I'm still unclear where the origins are. I had always read it was SNL, but yeah, 
I thought so. The only thing I could find on sketch as Bob Roberts on SNL that he wrote. I thought there was a because there there's a you can look it up. There's an SNL sketch with Bob Roberts. Chris Farley's there. It tanks. It is. It does not Mm. do well. I thought I thought it was like a a documentary short, and it just made me think about. It's probably the lowest grossing SNL movie of all time at $4.5 million, a movie based on an SNL sketch. But uh, yeah, he debuted it on SNL and you can see that on YouTube, but none of them, there's some clips of the movie, but that's about it. Yeah, I had a difficult time watching this. If you have any tips for the users out there. <sighs> um, yeah, I'm sure that there's, I mean, Torrance Putlockers. Yeah. I just wondered if it was uh, up on any like daily motion because I didn't find, I couldn't find it. Mm. Uh, but you know, yeah, I had some technical difficulties, so I couldn't capture any clips anyway, if I wanted to, but Bob yeah. Roberts, a, a big hearty recommend and doesn't deserve in any way to be this forgotten in this yeah, era of our politics. Why this is not really well known and streaming. I, I what I have to imagine is that everybody's memory of it is topical because mm. I, I think several people in Bush's administration, Bush one, eh, this movie's not fair. Like so it's just inextricably tied to that administration. Um, mm. even though I mean it is it's we're only two months to the presidential election, you know. It yeah. seems yeah. it seems kind of mean, but like I said, we're also two months from a Pennsylvania Senate candidate just running on his celebrity. It's, oh no, I am totally like you guys. I love crudités with salsa. <laughs> Who the fuck eats crudités with salsa? <laughs> My butler tells sorry. me I love it. Um, <laughs> sorry. My butler in New Jersey. Incredible. Just, just <laughs> incredible. But this is what a light movie week it is. I don't think the big studios are particularly afraid of Bob Roberts uh, because this, nope. uh, because Blade Runner's director's cut comes out. And yep. we had an enormous discussion on this on our Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time and about some of the differences in the Blade Runner cuts. But this is the first officially released cut based on, I think, a work print screening. And then they, it's yeah. Not, yeah. Ridley Scott doesn't consider it his director's cut, but he right. approved of it and then of it being called the director's cut. Yeah, this backstory yeah. is nuts. But as a director's cut going into release, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, this is the first one. Up until now, we've had extended editions that go to like Laserdisc, right? Um, yeah. You know, and that's just really those are just ones with extra footage that James Cameron just cut, but he really liked them anyway, and so he puts yeah. it in. It's, it's called an extended release or or a director's cut. This time, how this came about is so fucking crazy mm-hmm. that. A rep house in L.A. wanted to run Blade Runner and instead of the theatrical release, got a copy of the work print or the print (laughs) that was shown to test audiences that they did not like and that they went back and put in the voiceover and did all these. other. So it was an older cut before the theatrical cut and people liked it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So they started writing the studio and film, uh, you know, d- different movie theaters started saying, like, could we get a copy of that? Could we check out this yeah. other version of Blade Runner? And then they just went for it. They're just like, OK, let's ask Ridley Scott. Ridley, what changes do you want us to make? They make them and they release it in theaters as Blade yeah. Runner director's cut. And everyone watches it and says that was better. Mm-hmm. So I have never seen the original Blade Runner because really? when the director's cut came out on video, I was in mm. my nerd dumb. I was like, hey, everyone's talking about this. I'll watch this version. So 
to me, this is Blade Runner. Huh. You know, this is the the first original version. But it's not a good movie. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, oh, you should listen to that episode. It's very weird. Uh, the consensus, all of the participants, sort of came. To. It's an important movie. Yeah, it's a beautiful changes movie. our view of the future forever. But as a movie, it is not a good movie. I, oh. I yeah, I don't. I think it's very good. I'm also I'm not as big a Blade Runner fanboy as so many other people. There's so many people; it's their favorite movie. And there is a final cut that is actually supervised by Ridley Scott, as opposed to this one, was like he gave notes. And that's supposed to be like that's the really good one. Yeah. But the changes are very; they're all very tiny. I mean, it's but I, it I forget when that came with out. The but... little things that will fuck up a movie. Yeah, yeah. And this is ten years on after the movie was; it had become a cult hit. It was well regarded by film critics as sort of like, yeah, but yeah, so, that should have been better. But, but it had really, really good parts. But so was Kroll. What are... <laughs> nerds were so starving back then that like, yeah, this is a few. Fu- I want to see a movie set in the dystopian future, and this is what I got. And so I mentioned this on the bonus time episode. This is the last new future we have received. Yeah, everyone All, else ripped this off. Everyone yep. else ripped this off or if you're going for a rare optimistic future which isn't very common, you go to the Star Trek route or the post-apocalyptic route. The, the Orville this route. The, yeah. But <laughs> this is the last time someone went, I'm going to design a future that has never been seen before and put it on screen. Mm. All other futures are derivative. That doesn't mean they're bad, it's just they're not new in the way this is new. Yeah, I think I think Ridley Scott and I'm sure many other people whose names I don't know who worked on Blade Runner not necessarily uh, uh it is an amazing feat of visual brilliance and that's difficult mm-hmm. to deny. It's just a mm-hmm. slow film without a lot of story. Yeah. It Yeah, this is this is very true. Um but I mean, I feel like this opens the floodgates on director's cuts. Yeah. yeah. Where I we start seeing say... A lot of and a lot of them are cheap ass cash ins by producers who have no real artistic say in yeah. a movie. Uh, for example, the Dune director's cut is credited to Alan Smithy yep. because David Lynch had nothing <laughs> to do with it and took his name off it. No way. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is this is the start of director's cut. If you have ever seen a director's cut that you like, think this version because it really started the trend. Yeah. yeah. And thus far, I think the best director's cuts actually have been Ridley Scott. This and Kingdom of Heaven huh. are kind of the standouts of like, no, this is better this way. You're actually right. Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, we did. See, oh, and we did. And see... uh, Daredevil, actually. Daredevil, yeah. they cut out so much that it made the movie kind of incomprehensible. Well, the, so the, the director's cut of that actually makes some sense. The Zack Snyder <laughs> cut is is. Yeah. Is a, is sort of a modern equivalent to that because and it didn't take as many years in between, but it did allow the film to be reevaluated and then reappraised, and ultimately people liked that one better. But you see how much work in a, in an era where animators are responsible largely for what's on screen yeah. that was millions of dollars in the Blade Runner era. Hundred million dollars for the yeah. Snyder cut. Yeah, and oh it, it was the most ex- expensive edit of all time. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be topped. I do not see anyone ever spending a hundred million dollars to give a alternative edit to a film. A four hour alternative edit to a film. The the sole exception I think would be if the star of the flash is removed from the flash (laughs) and they have to reshoot everything. That Hmm. could be more expensive. I'm sure they would much rather let things die down for a little bit and 
uh, then then have to reshoot it. But yeah, that back in the day, because uh, I just remember we're getting all over the place. But I remember like trying to restore Richard Donner's Superman. That was mm. expensive, oh, yeah. but they were still yeah. finding and cleaning up old negatives. They weren't shooting new footage and making new effects. Where actually, Blade Runner's final cut contains, I think, like a couple second scene that is seem. I've never been able to see it. It's seamless. Oh. It's it's there is inserted in the movie. <laughs> the... It's a new shot from like twenty. 2007 yeah. yeah but yeah there's a shot because um in in the original movie you can tell when there's a stunt double being used for joanna cassidy running through those glass panes mm-hmm. they went back and reshot it with her it's like 25 years later she still looked fantastic yeah she nailed it, <laughs> it it's something they i, I can't... just probably digital faced or what or like that's a little we're getting a little bit into uh star wars special edition there yeah. for me it's like don't be re let's Too not much. reshoot something just because it bugs you mm. reshoot or you know shoot something you weren't allowed to shoot before mm. that's me but yeah joanna cassidy's cool, yeah so but uh, t- 10 years later a director's cut released in the theaters i'm not sure a lot of other films had that luxury but the the booming Mm-mm. home video market was a great place for that and uh, as as was cable and uh, i'm just glad it happened because people's original visions didn't have to die or be urban legend anymore at this point like yeah. oh actually that's another place extended cuts it started was when they came on television yep. there were some movies that were a little short when you added in commercials Superman so they had again. an extended cut where they did that with the godfather they throw in a couple yep. scenes that weren't in the theatrical and that pads it out or godfather they also did the godfather saga where they re-edited the whole yep. thing chronologically and it takes like five hours with <laughs> super <laughs> Superman. The original Superman movie had had yeah. like full minutes of extra footage that people were kind of infuriated by. Like, how come I can only yeah. see this when it airs on television? Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. just because we just have to get to that half hour mark and we needed to put insert this footage. And this is a long fucking movie. Uh, it makes Damn little it. sense now. But uh, yeah. Hey, speaking of superheroes, yeah. let's move into television, shall we? Oh, oh my gosh. Shall we? Uh, you know, you know oh. what? I'm going to save that for last because you're too excited. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, we should save that for last because we'll talk about it for a while. And uh, as opposed to Herman's Head's best episode, which I feel like we won't talk as long about. Uh, Probably not. But please, by all means, JR, tell me the best episode of Herman's Head. I was a huge, huge Herman's Head fan when it was coming out. I know that seems insane. No, it was awesome. Uh, uh, you say that you haven't watched it was it. awesome it's allowed to be okay. awesome tw- like it, it, it was still different from full house it was airing concurrently with that so i looked up uh when we started this show what is the best episode of herman's head there's not a whole lot of rankings out there but i did find one and it listed this episode as the best herman's head episode of all time so for okay. you the listener i rewatched it and 1992 jr what are you doing oh no i mean <laughs> this this is you're not funny t- you're like a you teenager know. right I'm, I'm you know barely a teenager there's yeah. no there's no internet for no. porn yet so anything it's, that mentions herman's, boobies is fine herman's head was the better option boobies. as herman's yeah. head depicted uh four people representing like inside out it's inside out as a sitcom representing and, uh, herman's thoughts you know it's definitely got that fox humor with woo mm-hmm. every every it's two minutes the first show i remember right when i learned to jerk off referencing jerking off as the thing the people in his head fight over we should do that to go to sleep we can't sleep like we don't do that it's so messy <laughs> uh and then it just shows his alarm clock as it fades into three minutes later and i'm like fuck <laughs> i didn't think i'd never seen television do that Herman's head. 
but this does an interesting thing in that it has the fox woo sex is awesome but then it actually addresses the fact that herman's friend jay actually has a problem with sex like his entire being is about sex he has nothing in his life except sex and they kind of Mm. have him go to sex addicts anonymous and yeah they make all the sex jokes you'd expect fox to make but they did kind of address that yeah your life's a little empty with all this there was one and only one joke that i found genuinely funny in this episode Okay, his name's Jay. I, this is I remember uh, this. I remember I this. Remembers it. Is it this is his initial? Yes. I remember this episode. Yeah. That made me laugh so much as a little kid. <laughs> oh right, my god. Wait, is first Diana. of all, is is his friend with the problem that's Hank Azaria? It's Hank Azaria. Yes. Yeah. All right. Got Sorry, it. I didn't let JR get out Sarah the joke. Is playing a character named Jay, J A Y. He goes mm-hmm. to Sex Addicts Anonymous and he says, Hi, I'd like to introduce myself. And he says, No, we're anonymous. And he goes, Okay, I'm just going to use the first letter of my name. Uh, call me Jay. And Jay, he says, Jay. And then, like, <laughs> you see a look on his face like, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> And that is a Simpsons cast member making the Homer J. Simpson joke long before the Simpsons would. Oh, yeah. And uh, there are multiple Simpsons cast members in this episode. So, yeah, you can see Lisa Simpson in Mm -hmm. the flesh and a couple of others. It's kind of weird. It is always weird seeing her in real life, I got to say. Lisa Simpson is Lisa Simpson and hearing her voice come out of a human always like, whoa, whoa. That's so (laughs) strange. uh, I would say the only lasting impact this show has had is a Simpson joke mm-hmm. where uh, Lisa is trying to cover for herself and goes, I was just uh, laughing because I was uh, thinking about a funny joke I heard on Herman's head. And Marge goes, well, no one will believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in really fun Christopher news, get the return of one of my favorite animated characters of all time. It's the be- the debut of Goof Troop. We don't have the uh, theme song. It's... Man, a couple times for these Disney afternoon syndicated blocks, Disney would make like a whole two-minute rap song to like promote their new show for three weeks. <laughs> gotta be getting goofy. Cool snake isn't always it. Sometimes you gotta go just a little bit. So don't you even hesitate. Just join on in, cause getting goofy feels great. I slip, a trip, a flip, a fall. Everybody goof and stand tall. Do the dance, join the group. True. Let's go. <laughs> The science is too tight. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> God. And speaking of the Simpsons, Nancy Cartwright's on there. So there you go. True. And of course, Frank Welker, because there's animals. And uh, Jim And Cummings, April Winchell, who I love. Bill Farmer as, as Goofy, and he's been Goofy pretty much ever since. Wow. And uh, it's also not the debut, but I think what's fascinating, Goofy is the only Disney cartoon character who has aged backwards and Max is the only character who's aged forwards. Yeah, he aged darn near real time. Yep. Because if well, you look his age, well, to to a point, if you look his age in this cartoon and then look his age in the first movie mm-hmm. and then look his age in the second movie, he, he gets older. He is oh. definitely older definitely. in the movies than no, he, he is he's, in the cartoons. He's, he's in um, two Christmas specials and they age him up there too, up, up to damn near like college age, I think. And uh, but he also Max I, Max. Is, so hold on, I have a I have a question for Max's origins. So I remember please. there being goofy cartoons that where he Max. has a he has a kid. But I always remember him as being like a toddler. Yes, he's like he's like baby. two or three years old. 
Right. He's uh he's not a teenager as he's depicted in Goof Troop. But okay, uh but he is canonically that's Max. 1951 is, is Max Max is born. Wow. Um, but uh they Okay, I, I did not realize they they held on to that as a They did. Even though know, very technically, canon. very technically, that is a character named not Goofy but George Geef. <laughs> Once they got Punto Colvig back as the voice of Goofy, they started putting oh, no. him in the what role of a sitcom character uh, in the 1950s. <laughs> but uh, but I, what my favorite Goofy cartoons of the uh, golden era are the, the like mm-hmm. how to ski or how, like oh, how to play yeah. football, and they redo that a couple times in Goof Troop. But that was how right. the Disney Studio coped with the loss of Goofy's voice. He became this slapstick instructional character for man, how, hockey homicide, great cartoon. How to play football, uh, how to ski, shing. I love that guy's. Uh, but Goof Troop was out, and I thought it was a, a yeah. pretty decent show because it was the first time. Yeah, I think a Disney character, even a Disney Afternoon or otherwise, was my age and dealing with my shit. And also, it's the only Disney cartoon I can think of that is pretty much the real world. Yeah. You know, Goofy doesn't fight crime. Mm-hmm. Goofy doesn't have trillions of dollars. Goofy doesn't fly a airplane and fight yeah. pirates. Goofy is a single dad it is, trying to get along with his son. That's it. It is That's the, it the is, show. It is the Doug of the uh, Disney afternoon block. <laughs> no one's doing anything like outlandish or heroic. It's just about growing up, about how, how hard it is to be a dad and how hard it is to be a teenager. And... Uh, uh-huh. I love that I can relate to it, and I'd like to attribute this to our friend T.L., uh, T.L. Foster, who was on VGA last week, that Goofy movie is a black movie, and that Goofy characters are black. I yeah. Every time I wear my Goofy movie shirt, it's the most compliments I get from black people, so I'm inclined to believe him, and it is a lot all the time. And uh, so, yeah, I love that aspect of it as well, because I think it became more relevant if that's how people were perceiving it and uh i other than that i don't know that there's that much remarkable at the show but nobody hates it nobody nope. hates it um, i i don't yep. know a single person who's like god that's the worst yeah. it's it's very pleasant i think my biggest problem with it is the title goof troop i thought maybe it took place in a camp <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i'm serious I that, that I, was I my confusion i thought it was about yeah, uh, goofy sense. runs to maybe a summer camp it's like no goof troop is is just the two of them you're thinking of camp candy I possibly heard <laughs> <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills. Oh, and... Goofy versus John Candy. Oh, no. oh, that that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, two everyman. Um, and then uh, yeah. possibly a TV milestone. Um, I, I meant to look into this a little more. Scared Silent, the first program to be seen on three networks simultaneously, is in CBS, NBC, and PBS. And I did find. It, it's not on YouTube. It's on the Internet Archive. Oh, oh uh, there's a couple of clips on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, the one I saw was Oprah Winfrey very respectfully but clearly talking about her own rape. Yes. And wow. that is something children should be talked about in a very serious manner. And from what I can see, the tone did keep to that. You know, it's a cautionary tale. And it's from what I can see that they were do trying their best to do really important, difficult work. Yes, because I looked at a little yeah. bit of it because at first I was like, what the fuck, ABC? You can't show this because you're the Disney Network. And then I tuned in I'm like this is seriously fucking heavy. Yeah. For even 1992, I can see maybe why like we're not going to put this on a primetime. This will fucking terrify people. And yeah, because it's it's people talking about their own experience 
being sexually abused. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. They talked to, I was just reading through the Paley Center has a write-up on it. So it's obviously important television that, you know, a father talks about uh, how he molested his children and what was wow. going on oh. in his head. They talk about, you know, statistics, you know, how, how to talk to people, um, you know, if, if someone's hurting you, how, how to, you know, deal with that. It's like, oh my god this is yeah and abuse going generation after generation after generations like this is really heavy and then oh my god the paley center i love them so much they list the commercials that ran the internet internet archive has them all and they're totally off the wall oh the no <laughs> this is so so wrong the i was raped by my parents for... yum it up with bubble yum oh blowing bubbles with <laughs> <Yeah>. skateboards <laughs> yeah the first the first one is for mr saturday night the billy crystal movie <laughs> we we'll talk about later then we got uh, Glade Plugins Playtex Lingerie. Wow. Ultra Slim Fast Diet Drinks. Ooh. No. Uh, the, the Internet Archive version Wrong. not only has the commercials intact, it has the last five minutes of hard copy, which is rewarding in its own way. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this is the first thing simulcast. I'm pretty sure. I, I saw that it was, but we talked about a, a while ago, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue. But right. I don't think that was simulcast. I think people were given, networks were given the opportunity to play it whenever they wanted. Because I remember seeing it in the afternoon and in prime time. So yeah, heavy That's stuff. True. And Oprah and probably using her clout for something important. Yeah. 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 This, this is very true. I, I can't imagine not, what happened There was a her. lot of stuff we did not talk about. So I don't think you can do this today. I cannot imagine a streaming service launching yeah. this important of a message and this frank of a message on their streaming sites. I, I can't imagine. Aimed at children. Because I have parental locks on my kids' account. Right. I cannot imagine this episode, filmed in 1992, passing those parental locks in uh, 2022. Right. No, right. Just the word, the, the word sexual. It's cutting it or off even though it's rape. about abuse they, they yeah. talk about rape uh -uh. i that will nope. not make my cuts no and nope. yeah just i don't know how not to get on to a bigger conversation it seems like we did a couple laser times in this i don't know how those psas and stuff would even work work today because even if you put them on the internet people can ignore them yeah and it lessens i mean even if you stream it on facebook you can minimize it into a window and lower its volume you can't force people to watch these message things anymore and i'm even thinking of stuff like scared straight where the prisoners just yell curse words at kids we were like kind of forced <laughs> to watch that uh in school and on television and i you would know better than me i don't know if there's any equivalent to these kind of programs at all no, other than like i think not. i think school has become a little more comfortable tackling some of these subjects yeah, I am trying. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think if school would show again this 1992 video, and I can see some yeah, I don't problems. Think so. you know? Ask ask your I don't kids. Think so. Ask There's your kids if they need. watch educational videos in school. I am just very curious. Even the laser time community, I don't even know if that's still something you do. Yeah, yes, I feel like 30 years videos. on. Okay. I feel like 30 years on there's probably been a lot more research and like better ways to yeah. reach kids too than just terrifying them mm -hmm. so that would be my guess is if there there are things about abuse prevention they're more tailored to how kids listen than this which just sounds terrifying for everyone and yeah. heartbreaking and no awful. this is this and is fucking heavy God. and unrecommendable to rewatch. It, it it it's really heavy let's move on to something that is god damn timeless okay and i'm gonna I, throw this I, out I here 
All right. Before well, I put we my start... marker down last week. I put my marker down last week. This is the best Batman. And I went back and I watched. I'm keeping my marker there. Go on. I'm going to throw down this marker. Mm-hmm. There is not a single cartoon television show made before this cartoon television show that is as timeless as it. You cannot even watch 1989 episodes of The Simpsons and feel like they were made today. I think you could watch all the 1992 episodes of Batman, the animated series, and think, yeah, this was made today. That's what we got. I just want to play a little bit of it. People in the zone. Oh, let's hear that Elfman. I love it. I think it's a mildly different reorchestration than from the movie soundtrack. It's not the movie soundtrack. It's its own beast. TMS doing that intro looks beautiful. You can see the original intro online. It has a lot more gunplay, which Batman... The animated series, which is what we're talking about, really skirted that line. People would kind of bring guns out, but rarely ever fire them. No one would ever get hit by a bullet. But nope. I feel like they won a lot of battles in a boardroom somewhere. Rewatching this, I realized, oh, they, they kind of pull a G.I. Joe a lot of times. Like, that car just went off a bridge. Yep. Oh, they're swimming. Oh, away. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're swimming. Away. Yeah, I think it's brilliant because of. Uh, a long time ago, my sister bought me a DVD box set of what she remembered being one of my favorite shows, He-Man. And <laughs> he, I, I like pop, it's it's br- br- bristling with special features and I pop it in. And all the special features are hosted by outrageously ancient old men and Paul Dini, who was hey. one of the young kids working on He-Man while the rest of them were like old animators who are like, I just want to be home by five. Just, uh, just get this done. They don't care. And you, I think Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, they are Batman fans, comic fans, and really, really wanted to bring that in. Because the only show with superhero animated th- anything that can hold up to this is the Fleischer Superman shorts, but mostly because they're lavish. They're not yeah. as timeless. Yeah. Because I, I saw some influence from those in this. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think and part of that is like, I remember as a kid, like, this world looks so mean. I don't think I like it, but I can't stop looking at it. Uh, this gothic architecture, this like this oh, setting man. that nobody would set a children's cartoon in. Some of the fun. Yeah. It is think, so think the- physically dark. Yeah. So much of the screen is physically dark with this big 40s streamlined modern slash art deco yeah. cars and buildings and clothes. and good They literally Lord, drew on black paper. Yeah. Ah, that makes so much sense. <laughs> And I wanted to say before the pandemic, collecting animation cells from animated shows within my lifetime is a fucking reasonably priced collector's thing. I have never paid more than $100, sometimes as low as 10 for some of this stuff. This stuff is like hundreds of fucking dollars because it looks so good. And, and not only... Everyone would want it. I, I was reading some Batman comics, but my knowledge of Batman comes from this show. Uh, completely, mm. especially the, the episode I made sure to watch was the uh, the Clayface episode, which I, which at the time a character died at the end of the show, like that had never happened in any cartoon show I have I'd ever seen. I really have a hard time saying I like this more. This is better than 1966 Batman, but it inarguably is. It, Without a doubt, I sorry. mean, <laughs> for our listeners, keep in mind: television Batman before you had this was the live action man or Batman meeting up with Scooby-Doo while being voiced by Casey Kasem. Yep. Think what a shift it is from those super friends to this. Holy yeah. crud. And I, I'm not sh- I'm not sure how they got away with it because, I, I mean, I have read that they were constantly kind of fighting over what level of on-screen violence. You see a lot of Batman is mostly carrying disarming technology. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Things that tie yeah. people up, not guns out of their hands. But yeah, and uh, there's a lot of Tommy guns too, because yeah. Yeah. that's not something a kid is likely to find in a closet and right. fuck around with when it's got mm-hmm. you know <laughs> a, the, the drum magazine on it, like your Al Capone. But the depictions of these characters, I think, are, are brought about so well and hold up because they cast like very good voice actors in all of these roles. Oh yeah, I mean it. It opens up with the. Uh, some Catwoman stuff with Adrian Barbos. Have really no idea. Good. I did not even recognize her voice because she she has already had sort of a raspy voice, but she, she freaking kills it. I love Paul Williams as the Penguin. Forgot that was him. So entirely. such a good idea. And my fa- my favorite, just R.I.P. Recently, David Warner was Rashad oh, Ghoul, yeah. and I'd never heard of that character before. And the, those Lazarus Pit episodes are some of the coolest episodes of television. Brilliantly acted by that David Warner who we just lost. But I think the big revelation is Mark Hamill as the Joker. Mark Hamill and oh, that, okay. that's so probably the best Joker, guys. Right. Mm. It is. I, I think he is, is the best Joker of all time. And do you know who was originally going to voice the Joker? Oh, I no. did know this, but Tim Curry. Right. Oh, oh, he would have been really good too though. Yeah, but I'm still glad they got like- Mark they Hamill. talked to him for the movie. He was he was on the short list. If they couldn't mm. get Nicholson, I think he was the alternate because he's kind of already has the smile, man. <laughs> but if I can get to Batman for a second, mm-hmm. Mark Hamill is my favorite Joker, and Kevin Conroy is my favorite Batman. And it's not just that he's I'm... my favorite Batman; he's out in, way out in front of the best Bruce Wayne of all time, and like yeah. convincing, making convincing different personas. And did you see that he came out as gay recently and talked Ooh, about? Kevin Conroy? Yeah, talked about that oh. being. Part of finding this character, the, these characters he had to play, because he did have to play two characters, one in public and one in private. Yeah, and, I'm so impressed by the voice casting on yeah. this, because he's a guy who was like, he had a short run on Dynasty as a character. He, he's just sort of a guy who'd been around on television. Mm-hmm. He's not so, a name at all. That's another big difference. This is a cartoon show that accepted voice actors as actors yeah before this most of the time it was like all right we're gonna hire you to play five to ten voices this was just like we are hiring you to mainly play one voice and we will hire other people to do the other voices because those are different characters Mm -hmm. and when uh mark hamill and kevin conroy went in to re-record some of their lines for the show they got that huge bombastic score and it was at that moment that both of them knew, oh, whoa, this is something different. You do not go this big and this uh, epic of a orchestra for just your average cartoon show. Nice. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I think just from the title alone, I was confused because nobody had ever used the word animated to describe a cartoon ever. Batman, the animated series. I think it was like, you know, maybe stay away. It's four o'clock, kids, but maybe mm. you won't like this as much as your teenage brothers and sisters or your parents uh the animated series do you think they're just trying to differentiate themselves from the movies uh just calling themselves batman yeah uh yeah i'm I'm positive it it had to be something like that and but just to do something so classy and something that i believe this probably would have been the internal title and then it would have eventually changed and it did eventually change but i think Mm. because of that this show technically in television history is the most spun off show what's really crazy about this is we watch the dceu try and figure out how to build a shared universe they did it 30 years ago seamlessly this is batman's universe but like 
characters and moments tie into the Superman show and then into Justice League, into Static Shock, into all this other stuff. And the designs and the voice actors, not always, but carry over as well. So uh, Batman Beyond all takes place in the universe that starts right here and goes on, I think may still be going on depending where Young Justice takes place. The most, yeah, way more than all in the family, Batman the Enemy. And what's even funnier, if you buy preschool children's toys... Those toys are these designs. If you look at the Legos for Batman, it's it's this Two-Face, it's this Poison Ivy, it's this Joker. Yeah. Let's talk about toys for a second. Please. Because in 1992, the purpose of your kids' cartoon television show was to sell toys. Yes. 90% of the time, everyone was trying to rip off Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heck, even Schumacher, if you listen to some of his uh, interviews on his films he was like oh we had to listen to the toy people so much we had to do this for the toys we had to do that for the toys i don't see it in this show i do not see the episode where it's like well this is obviously you're just trying to sell me this toy I, and there were toys on the show there were but it's so seamless that it didn't affect the production which in a 1992 context is insane the mm, stars yeah. were just so right everything came together to make this an amazing groundbreaking literally changing the animated television forever because after this film you could not do a superhero cartoon without someone going well there's batman the animated series yep. mm-hmm. do we want to go that route or a different route yeah i was just i i was it's been a long time since i watched any of this and it's all it's on hbo so you can go crazy there are a lot of things that i liked about like Batman is actually doing detective work. Yes. And him being a detective is a lot more important to this than I think any other Batman. Yes. It feels much more like the comics. And some of it's pretty clever. Like there's an episode about, you know, the guy who fixes the Batmobile Mm -hmm. and how the penguin finds out who that is. And because of special parts that that guy orders. And it's like, that's, it's like the penguins doing detective work there. I'm like, Oh, Wow, that's the pretty freaking clever. Also, one week into the run of this show, they introduce possibly their most popular character. Let's save that. Okay. Introduced <laughs> in 50 years. We're going to save that for her own episode because we've already okay. got a lot to talk about. Okay. This will... is this is yeah. very true. Okay. I did not know she shows up that early. So, uh, we so that's the other thing about this. This is syndication. So, they burn off 65 episodes, five new episodes a week for almost a full year. Holy crud. That I remember. I remember being in 1992, rushing home and watching it every day. It's a new, absolutely amazing episode. And it's it's hard to understand how powerful that was in 1992 because we could have <laughs> yeah. binge watched thing. And I actually don't think this is a good binge watch. No. If you watch it one after the other, it gets a little repetitive, but it's not designed for that. It's yeah. yeah. Watch one a day. You'll be happy. Yeah. It's I think really the other good. thing that I noticed is the, the animation itself is incredibly stylized. It's not especially fluid. It, it has a very TV animation quality to it. So if you're going in looking for what, what TV animation looks like now is so much better than what we had then because this is all hand I, I, I kind of disagree. And they're being they're being so ambitious that it's like <clears throat> I don't think they have the time or the money to fill in the in between type stuff, and so it can be a little bit jagged sometimes. There's, there's certain things I, I don't watch a ton of modern television animation, but it, they've kind of reverted to pretty simplistic formulas and 2D. 
the, the things these characters do, like when they jump off of a building, like this is drawn from scratch. These perspectives are yeah. drawn drawn from scratch. It's not just the same model falling face front down down a building. It's the camera moves and the buildings yeah. are redrawn. Everything is redrawn. There's no formulas used here. So I yeah, it, well, that's what I mean. It's so ambitious. I kind of wish it, they had infinity money and infinity time. What yeah. they would have come up with would have been well, like you want to. You want to gouge your eyes out because you'll never see anything so beautiful again. Then you it's should like, see Batman Mask of the Phantasm because that which is, is really, really, really good. good. And One bombed, of the best Batman movies of all time. Bombed huge, yeah. but has now been reappraised as wonderful. But it's, you know, a movie based on this series with all the same actors. Yeah. But yeah, and it's also, this is a lot of fun because watching this on HBO, there's another related HBO animated show on right now that yes. has... Batman and Poison Ivy and <laughs> Catwoman and all these other characters that is also so much fun. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, well, we'll talk about her. Next I just, day. I can't, yeah, I can't express how much this changed everything. And there's like all this, Spielberg is and, responsible for most of this. But, and uh, then it holds up after 30 years. I was insane. expecting yeah. for the nostalgia to make me be like, oh, this, this isn't as good as I remember. It was better. Yeah, watching it in 4K mm -hmm. or Blu-ray is just... Yeah a treat yep it's very good i've always i always try and find like a cheap sell of this show and it's just like it's so popular it's completely unobtainable and uh so you know if you want to get me something for my birthday or i'm going to call this the weekend i get covid um so get me something no. to celebrate quarantining but yeah this show yes. is fantastic all streaming on hbo max been remastered in at least hd did you say you saw it in 4k jr i think I could be wrong. I don't have the best eyes in the world, but I feel like it's that quality. I mean, it might days. not even be it's necessary. It's very high quality, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's super, super great, and I can't say enough great things about it. Just It, it was yeah. hard to like binge, but there's a bunch of two-part episodes that I forgot about, and those are really easy to go back and watch. Uh, yep. I, I love everything about this show, and it's the best Batman's yeah. ever been on screen. I know it's each Batman show, if you haven't paid attention, does get better, funnier, more self-aware, animation improves. But that all starts here because the only thing Warner Brothers had made for television at this point are Tiny Toons and Tasmania. They'd only done comedy and used an orchestra mm -hmm. like that. Like to create a mood like this and to be comfortable showing that to kids, it had to make Fox started to have to get more uh, comfortable with the idea. Like there's a lot of adults watching this for some reason. Like, yeah, because it wasn't made yeah. to be disposable shit for kids who don't care. Um, there is a fair amount of horror in this. Too. Yeah. One of the very first episodes has Man Bat transforming into yes. a giant monster guy. And he is like legitimately pretty scary if you're a little, little kid. Oh, I also. If, the, if the, you're like 10, you're like, rock. Like the, the first character on screen, the first episode is Lucius Fox, the character played by Morgan Freeman in the Nolan movies. But he looks like Casper from Miller's Crossing. <laughs> 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 anyway, anyway, we talked so. But we can all agree. This held up just, I knew I, it I hold up. Amazing. I, yeah. I was really impressed at I, how well it held up. Very, yep. very good. Uh, let's bring this in for a landing. Oh, God damn it. There's an <laughs> equally more influential <laughs> goddamn video game here. Forgot about that. A little video game coming out for the Super Nintendo. The first video game to make me stay up all night. Aww. Let's go racing. It's Super Mario Kart Funny Car Madness. Only on Super NES. Turn the track into a giant mud pit. Or burn rubber on ice, wood, or asphalt. Mix it up for the big boys. See Bowser and his big foot dropping truck. See Yoshi's go kart really good. Mushrooms, banana peels, 
turtle shell. Dino Might. Check your rear view and make a mean test. Or go into battle mode and ruin his day. Two speeds. Fast and way too fast. It's two-player fun on the split screen. Only for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with power. Superpower. Oh, that was very vivid for me. I hadn't watched that before we started the show. Oh, I remember that commercial very well. Is this the first Super Mario Kart? Yes. So, yes, wow. this is the very first Super Mario Kart. Mario Kart beats Mario every system, except for this one. But coming up, yeah. Super Mario Kart is the system seller for the GameCube, for the Wii, not yep. so for the Wii U, even for the Switch. Yeah, I think, I think for the Wii U as well. Yeah, that, yeah, was, that was Mario Kart 8. Yeah. I um, feel like maybe it was also for the, the N64 because that was the like the number one game I saw anyone playing on it's it was weird. Mario that, Kart 64. That's my only blind spot in the Mario Kart series. I had a 64, never had that game. No, none of my friends played that. But I remember like seeing this and being like, the fuck is this? And the low, dull roar going through school like this shit is fucking incredible. Like there'd been racing games, there'd been fighting games, but there hasn't really been racing fighting games. And Nintendo yeah. <laughs> came up with this brilliant new genre where first place wasn't always that important or given to the person who was the best at racing. I would say RC Pro-Am did this, but it was that Mode 7 technology that allowed them to present this a little more realistically or like what you were playing racing-wise in the arcades. Mm -hmm. And given that you had a, you know, random but infinite powers, you could... Uh, and learning that coins make you go faster. I remember Nintendo Power having to outline that Bowser's got a faster top speed, but is, you know, less quick off the line. All that shit, like stuff we'd never really considered in a Nintendo game before. And yeah, we had a slumber party, and I remember like the mother being shocked that none of us went to bet. We just played <laughs> Mario Kart Battle Mode. It's the dawn of one of the biggest franchises in all of gaming. And to, to, to go on what JR says, if you go into like a Target or a Walmart now, you will see very distinctively there's Mario merchandise and Mario Kart merchandise. It'll even like, because it's Nintendo and they have to put a logo on everything, it'll even say like Mario Kart, as if you don't know what it is when a fucking <laughs> Italian plumber is inside of a cart. But that brand might be bigger than Mario himself. It, the games at least outsell. In terms of selling, it as 100% yep. outsells. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, the thing is, I don't think you'd go back to this, you know? It's, it's the hardest. Uh, it, this and the 64 one of the hardest to go back to. Yeah. I mean, the GameCube one, I think you can go back I to. I love it. Uh, I even like the Wii one, honestly, because that was the one I played the most just to various factors. Yeah. But this one, you know, you're dealing with that mode seven in 2022 and it's, it's a bit of a... You are uh, essentially like if you put a character on a stick and just sort of pivoted the stick, that's sort of how you drive. It's not a great yeah. driving experience. Yeah, but this could have been just a cheap cash-in. Yep. You know, there's it, it, they put a lot of love into it. They themed it off of Super Mario World, so it mm -hmm. drew you in, and it really set the course for all the games that followed it of, no, let's really take our time with this. Uh, and this I forget, not... it, it still was developed by like 15 people in like three months. It's like an yep. incredible development time compared to today's mm -hmm. games. But it, but I, again, recommending, if you don't have, if, if you have any modern games, Nintendo game system, Mario Kart 8, it's it's hard to go back, Jr. But if you have Mario Kart yeah. Eight, they brought in like not all the tracks, but like fifty tracks from Mario Kart's of yore, and that's like yeah. just as satisfying Whoa. to be able to go yeah, back that, to those tracks. Uh, I I I don't want to sound greedy, but I kind of wish they would have just re-released a new Mario Kart and call it Mario Kart Ultimate, and mm -hmm. all it is is the Mario Kart Eight engine with 
every Mario Kart track of all time. Video game nerds like me and people even more hardcore to Mario Kart are like, when are we getting Mario Kart 9? It's like, what do you want? Like, what do you want that this doesn't do? This is all these characters and... From from even different series now, and giving you all these new tracks. Every what what could Mario Kart Nine do? You technically fly mm. upside down in this one. You fly and you <laughs> magnetically go upside. What, what more can you do with a kart game? And that's when I would demand another. If there's technologically some reason, but I still yeah, kids come over. We, this gets the shit played out of it every time. Kids and adults, yeah. good even, even playing field. And that's the only game we're going to talk yep. about. 1992 book, Gerald's Game by by Stephen King. Stephen, Stefan yeah, King? Yeah, so this is a departure from him. This is when mm-hmm. he's starting a little new track. He's trying to get away from like the haunted house, the haunted hotel, the haunted town, all that stuff. This is solely about a woman who is having problems with her husband. Her husband wants to do a bunch of kinky stuff. She's not really into it. He convinces her to let him handcuff her to a bed. And then he has a heart attack on top of her and dies. Oh. Yeah. And that's it. I see some problems. Yeah. I mean, honeymoon plans for me. In the main wilderness when it is not tourist season. So there is no one around. And she's handcuffed to one of those old, you know, fashion bed. This isn't an mm. Ikea bed. She can bring. <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know, uh, th- this could stand like a cannonball hitting it. I so. destroyed so an Ikea bed with my ass just this year. <laughs> so it's, it's misery without an antagonist. Oh, yeah, shit. pretty much. And, mm. uh, More you know, it's, it's <laughs> Stephen King trying also to write better women characters. Mm. And I got to give him credits because he has a female protagonist who is naked for the entire book. And as far as I could tell, he never describes her breast in the entire book. Oh, yeah. But but that is something (laughs) male writers often do far Mm -hmm. too much when they're in a female character's mindset. They have the female character think about their own breast oh yeah we do it all the time we breast boobily down the stairs every day constantly thinking about what they're doing Uh, i wish we could just title this this episode that breast (laughs) (laughs) boobily let's get into music because this has been gone on way too long end of the road by boys to men is still number one we also have new releases from ugly kid joe uh, America's Least Wanted. I only like Ugly Kid Joe because right when I started watching MTV because of Beavis and Butthead, it was like the last of hair metal that was mm. in the top t- or whatever TRL was back before it was TRL. Uh, right. It was the very last thing. And then... Yeah, and- Ugly Ugly Kid Joe is like... it. it- it's grunge enough to fit in with them, but it's also metally. Yeah. yeah. It's on the Wayne's World soundtrack. It's hair metal. But Fair then, because then conversely, Buzzclip Rancid, self-titled uh, EP is out this week. Fantastic album. Amused to Death by Roger Waters. I Got Mine Yo by Chub Rock. Uh, Hearts and Armor by Trisha Yearwood. Mondo Bizarro by The Ramones. Uh, Nerve Net by Brian Eno. Copper Blue by Sugar. The Look of or the Lifestyle by Pop Will Eat Itself. Bone Machine by Tom Waits. Uh, 99.9 Fahrenheit Degrees by Susanna Vega. We're going to close that with Everything About You by Ugly Kid Joe. But do not move. We have so much more to talk about. Don't like the thing about the city. No, no.
Coming into 2002, September 2nd through the 8th, 2002, with Get Over It by OK Go. I saw them open twice for They Might Be Giants, and I never would have predicted that, like, I would see their music videos without asking all the time, (laughs) because they're always doing something silly and viral, and, um... Yeah, yeah. just before they figured that out, they're they're much closer to, like, a punk band. Yeah. They, They haven't started doing the charming videos that dancing on the... Um, the treadmill video, yeah. The treadmills or having the really Ooh. big Rube Goldberg machine. That one's mm-hmm. great. Stop motion using their own bodies for a 24-hour mm. period. Looks heinous. 2002, everyone. New releases this week in music also include Reroute to Remain by In Flames, Another Earthquake by Aaron Carter, self-titled by The Music, uh, Mastered by The Guy at The Exchange by Max Tundra, and Critical Mass by Threshold. Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland is number one. I wish I could fucking copy-paste that with my voice every week instead of having to say it. A bit uh, news. The, hmm. Sorry, the band called The Music. Honey, it's 2002. The internet exists. Why are you doing that to yourself? <laughs> the music video. Um, the music song. Uh, you the listen. music new album. My kid won't go to school. He just keeps listening to the music. Uh, I don't know why that old prospector has a child. (laughs) A little bit of news to bring you into the world of 2002 this week. Uh, Before a U.S. congressional panel, Doris Roberts testifies that age discrimination is prevalent in Hollywood. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She would know. She's born in 1925. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Wow. And then also Argentina pulls off one of the biggest upsets in basketball history. I think we forecasted this a couple weeks ago. Beating the U.S. uh, 87-80 in the second round of world championships. It's the first U.S. loss in 59 games since sending NBA players to international competition in 1992. The Dream Team era. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Argentina. Yeah. Way to go, Argentina. No idea what's in the water over there. And then a little asterisk here. Napster is shut down for good. Yeah, in a yeah. way, Bertelsmann AG, which is a giant German-owned me- media conglomerate, was trying to buy them, and basically a judge said no. Yeah. No, I remember so that because they, I think they were trying uh, desperately not to keep like the site alive, but to keep it alive long enough to sell yeah. and turn into something else. Because the name recognition alone, like, still means something to me. Like, I can taste Diet Dr Pepper. I, I bought my first computer almost totally to steal music via Napster. <laughs> Do you remember that? You find someone with like, uh, you download a song from them really quick and you click on their name and see everything that they're sharing and like basically steal their entire catalog of music. It was, there still hasn't been much like it since Napster because it made everything so easy, but it still exists as a paid music brand. I just couldn't tell you anyone who uses it. I don't know why you would. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I'm not sure why you would, considering how many stre- free streaming options there are now, but, like, I don't know what their identity is. But this is... I mean, let's be honest. <clears throat> this was the beginning of the devaluing yes. of music. Yes. People do not value music the way they did before Napster right. at all. Right. I mean, part part of the reason MTV existed, not only as a promotional avenue to put million-dollar videos to promote albums that were supposed to make half a billion dollars, people didn't need MTV to find music anymore. And it just didn't become necessary. So, yeah, when I mourn the loss of MTV's identity, I don't give as much of a shit about the music videos. <laughs> I, just want the, I just want the Max back on. Anyway, moving into the, <laughs> the movies of 2002, September 2nd through the 8th. We got three doozies, he said, trying to keep people listening. <laughs> ben Gazar, Justin Chambers, Juliet Lewis, Gina Rollins and Uma Thurman, and Hysterical Blindness. 
Yeah, this went to HBO in the States. It went to theaters overseas and is based on a play. It's directed by Mira Nair, who we've talked about with Mississippi Masala and Monsoon Wedding, uh, a director. I want to have more chances to do good stuff because mm. I like those movies so much. And uh, it's based on a play. Uma Thurman plays a very Joycey Goyle and she's got Joycey Goyle problems. And like everyone gets an Emmy nomination out of this. Hmm. Like, it's like people liked it well enough and sort of like shrug, but it was like critics freaking loved it. Like, okay, so give Mira Nair more work. God damn it. Mm, I didn't even check to see if it's on HBO right now. I hope it is. Um, It sounds fun. Just didn't get around to it. Too much to do. Too much to do this week, especially with those Batman binges. I don't regret. I regret Uh, nothing. uh, Dude, the the Mr. Freeze origin. Oh, no, no. So oh yeah oh oh it yeah introduced mr freeze as a good character before then he was a joke yeah no one liked mr freeze before that episode well he had some good moments in the 66 series but i see what you're saying i see but yeah giving him like a literal heart in the form of his wife and it, like as a sympathetic villain awesome we're back on batman again look what you did to me jr Sorry. uh coming Sorry. up <laughs> the next movie anson mount patty lapone george zundra William Forsyth, Elijah Dushku, uh, James Franco, Francis McDormand, and Robert De Niro, and City by the Sea. All right. How can I tie this into Batman? Because I'd rather <laughs> talk about that than this film. Yeah. Um, is there a Batman villain whose son is accused of murder? There's got to be. There is Somebody. a Spider-Man villain in James Franco, but that's about all we got. There you go. And a Dick well, Tracy yeah. villain, villain in William Forsyth. Flat top. Yeah. There, okay. Okay, there you go. So uh, Robert De Niro is a cop and his dad was also a cop who killed a guy. And so he's trying really hard to be, you know, the best cop he can. But then his son, James Franco, is a junkie and he's accused of Mordor. And <laughs> he's like cut him out of his life, as you probably should with James Franco. And, um, and oh, oh, the inner turmoil of should I help my son or not? Francis McDormand is also there. <laughs> yeah, I, this is, yeah. No one really cares. It's okay, I guess. According to all the reviews, it's okay, but deeply forgettable. Same with the next movie. Extremely forgettable. Yeah, yeah. It's bizarre this is number one at the box office because this doesn't have a good... This holds up really well. Don't miss out on the sleeper hit. Jason Ritter, Clayne Crawford, Dan Hedaya, Kate Burton, uh, Shiri Appleby, Eric Christensen, Jesse Bradford. Number one this week, it's Swim Fan. Doing. No emails, no visits, nothing. I'm with Amy. Ben, get back here! He has the positive steroids. I don't take steroids. I know they're on. I know I have to take them. She did it. I know she did it. Good place, man. You're losing it. Don't worry about me. I got some new aid for me in New York. She killed him. Okay. Stupefy, I believe that song is. <laughs> so I actually watched this, and... I tried. It's... It's it's a film you know it's not a it's not a horrible film it's not an it's an okay film it, it gets an okay it, it's basically don't stick your dick in crazy the film yeah um yeah. it's yeah. fatal attraction it's fatal attraction for teenagers, for teenagers. Yeah. yeah the the thing is before he got involved with the crazy girl i don't think she showed any signs of being crazy 
No. So I don't know what the lesson is there other than be celibate. They rarely do. But um, <laughs> I mean, I guess don't cheat because he has seen someone yeah. and he cheats on someone. So that's I the will. lesson, I guess. But there's a couple of things. This is one of the first teen films I can recall where the Internet is a big player mm -hmm. uh, because True. they are uh, texting dirty on the Internet, not on their phones, but just Ooh. dirty chatting. And she is sending him nude pictures of herself. And it's the first time I can recall in a film where someone opens up and sees, I have 87 messages. <laughs> oh, shit. I have 87 <laughs> messages. Mm. It's a PG-13, but it feels R for some reason. Yeah, well, it's got a sex scene in it. Mm -hmm. um, not super graphic, but it's, it's, you know, the camera does not just sort of drift away and look at the fireplace. Like, there's a full-on sex scene in it. But, yeah, it was just... It's it's literally almost beat for beat Fatal Attraction without any ambiguity whatsoever. Because at least in Fatal Attraction, like you can think about, well, he shouldn't have done that. Well, this, mm -hmm. I mean, she's kind of right. She shouldn't be ignored. But yeah, this just is barely number one, beating out my big fat Greek wedding, oh. which has been around for a little while and is making double the money that this is per screen. Mm. I'm barely, barely like. A, just made it to number one. Yeah. Good for you, swim fan. <laughs> yeah, you made us mention you. <laughs> I love Yay. how quickly we get through the movies of 2002 in August. Holy shit. It's going to pick up. But I, I, I just thought this would be an interesting thing. Oh, actually, mm. yeah, next week it picks and we got a big indie hit. So, yeah, we're just at the weird summer spot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, this is where, uh, you know, people kind of take a break in between the fall film season. This is when most TV shows are start premiering. So, even though that's not happening yeah. this week. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, it's Labor Day weekend. Like, people want to go out and have fun. They don't want to go to the movies. We're losing stuff this week. And to this week, it is announced. This is uh, very sad for me. The Disney Channel is dropping its vintage programming, including Vault Disney, which was just this block they kept pushing further and further back until I think you had to be up at like one in the morning and you could see like old Kurt Russell live action Disney movies and uh, <laughs> uh, Charlie is the Lonesome where, Cougar. Is that where you first fell in love with Sammy the Way Out? Season? No, that was, I mean, the only reason <laughs> I, I have memories of that is as a kid not having cable and you have that wonderful world of Disney and there isn't children's programming in primetime other than like TGIF other than the magical world of Disney. So I grew up with like 30, 40 years before my time, Disney content. And I, I still like to watch Follow Me Boys and Computer War Tennis Shoes, uh, <laughs> uh, Pollyanna and uh, the Nine Lives of Thomasina, uh, Romney the Scarecrow, Romney Marsh, uh, anyone, <laughs> no one, Spit and Marty, but like all that weird Disney crap, which I only find bizarre when Disney Channel launched, they had like Mouser size, the nightmarish Welcome to Pooh Corner and Dumbo Circus. And the rest of it was legacy content. That's what they sold the network yeah. on. And, and I looked this up. They did show Song of the South on the Disney Channel a couple of times. Wow. I mean, the, the weirdest but shit. I, obviously not by 2000. I, I think, I don't know if I said that before. I fell in love with Planet of the Apes on the Disney Channel. The Disney Channel started breaking from format, I think, I think about eight years ago. And was running like the, like, why would you run The Hobbit? <laughs> you have your own animated films to show us. Oh, you'd rather sell those on VHS and DVD. But I, I just, I find it funny just because I still see commercials on, a, for a Disney Plus, for like The Lion King. I'm like, oh, that will, you can't push away a streaming library, but the focus on that is going to diminish 
to the point where like, will anybody care if they remove those movies from the service? Because when but I, was... I mean, the counter argument of that is why would they ever bother? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there. No, no, I know. I know. I'm just saying this like as you as younger people get older, watching that not be something they highlight Disney Plus with. Because when I was a kid and indoctrinated into the Disney magic fold, you'd see Herbie the love bug and Elliot the dragon and Mary Poppins and like every shot with this ensemble Disney stuff. And you never see that shit anymore. Race to Witch Mountain. Uh, none of that. No, no. Escape yeah. to Witch Mountain. Race is the rock remake. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that I was personally devastated by, by this because i was getting high and watching old disney stuff at night and that was my own little bliss but now we have disney plus and it doesn't matter yeah channel drift there it goes it went from mm. a disney channel went from kind of a library to this is literally the lizzie mcguire kim possible stuff yeah. pushing all that aside on also this week liberty's kids debut what the fuck is so that? this is a really solid pbs cartoon really it's all yeah it's all about children during the american revolution and oh. for 2002 they are very good for 2002 they mentioned hmm. slavery they mentioned taking the indians land they even have sympathetic british characters it is not raw raw everything the Americans ever did was good. Mm -hmm. They have uh, one of the three characters is the daughter of a British general, and she's constantly arguing for the British side. If you're looking for a good show for young children to show them about the American Revolution, I can't think of a better one, honestly. Wow. And I wasn't, but... <laughs> but... And it had some amazing cameos as well. Oh, does they come up in this clip? They do. Friends, I remind you that we lack not in great talkers, but great doers. Honestly. Diana got that. Uh, Walter Cronkite is Benjamin Franklin. Correct. Should I keep oh, going? This is... yeah, keep fantastic. going. See, see if she can guess. All right. This is Abigail Adams. What am I going to do with you? Keep me here. Put me to work. At least I know I'll be appreciated for you, darling. Billy Crystal and Annette Benning as the Adamses. This is all right. Thomas Jefferson. It will be an honor to turn what talents I have to this cause. I only hope I prove worthy. That was Ben Stiller. <laughs> as, <laughs> as Thomas Jefferson. Okay. As Paul Revere. Disturbing, uh. Mr. Newman, but the British regulars are definitely on the move and they are preparing to cross the Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. What? Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone is Paul Revere. Is Paul Revere. You, you got to get to uh, to one. Oh, yeah. Keep okay. going. In other countries, you tell a soldier to do something, he does it. But an American, he needs a reason. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is Baron von Steuben. Yes! <laughs> they they, they right. found the one German guy. Yeah. That, that, that's enough. There's special. more. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg is in it. Liam Neeson. Dustin Hoffman. You know. They wow. got some serious chops for this show. Like this is a tax write-off or something. It's produced by PBS. So mm -hmm. yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah, they found the one German guy. Did they find one French guy for Lafayette? That'd be fun. <laughs> I hope so. They get uh and um man, is this really the end of the first season of American Idol? It really is. I wonder if we even have to tell people who won, because I think it's like almost everybody knows that, right? Yeah. I mean, she's, I would say the second biggest star to come out of American Idol. Total. But, I mean, she, Kelly Clarkson wins. And it, it, she's a big star. And her song goes to number one in a week or two. And, yeah. And she's still going. Because she's, you know, a legitimate freaking uh, talent. So, yes, uh, there you go. I, yeah, Carrie Underwood's the only other person I think who came out of American Idol 
and is that level of famous and still going. So that's mostly for being like a talk show host now, right? Well, oh yeah, she does. Also, uh, this week, did you assume beyond belief fact or fiction gets renewed for another season? It's false. No way. Not this time. No, not this time. <laughs> so glad you put that clip in the because that's all I was thinking of doing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I've used that clip so many times on internet discussions. Just, <laughs> okay, you're wrong. It's complete <laughs> fiction. It's it's a great clip. I, I like the one better of Jonathan Frake just asking you questions like he's an inquisitive <laughs> seven-year-old. <laughs> Have you ever walked out of a mall into a huge parking area and realized you'd forgotten where you parked your car? <laughs> Ever go on mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? Sark, you got to see the visual on this. Just so, so the the premise of the show was to present you with stories, mm-hmm. some of which were true, and some of which yep. they made up. And this seems to harken back to the time when we were made of disposable free time. Why would you allow a TV show to waste your time? Because it's <laughs> testing your reason skills, but then you see that it's actually considering things true when it's like, yeah, this guy recorded that he had this supernatural experience. Okay, so okay. that's a true story. <laughs> this yeah. seems like so much shit would just be spread. If I know I saw it on television, and that, therefore it's yeah. true. But you missed the last 30 seconds where they said it, they made it up. Presented it, uh-huh. now, now it can be presented out of context on YouTube. And our former yeah. president will probably tweet about it. And uh, yeah. Speaking of wasting your time, probably the biggest waste of time I did this week is like, uh, let's, I wonder how Arliss ends. Because Arliss <laughs> ends on HBO. And it's like, I never liked that show. It went for an astonishing seven seasons, considering wow. Sopranos went for six. <laughs> six Feet Under went <laughs> for five. Mr. Show went for four. Arliss, ladies and gentlemen, Arliss. Created by Robert Wool, starring him as well. He's a famous sports agent. And I watched this show, and it is utterly unworthy of the HBO brand. It is. It holds up fucking horribly. Uh, it is kind of a, mostly a parade of sports cameos. And if this was intended to be its last episode, I'm like, oh, is this airing on poignancy? Arliss's friend dies on the field. A coach. I'm what? Made, yes. That- that does not seem to be how the show should end. Uh, and so Arliss, without saying much, goes through an existential dilemma and just starts driving to Nevada, where he sees, I think, Jonathan Reese davies as an old prospector who has no friends and works himself to death for that gold, that gold. I'm like, all right, this is a little ham-fisted, but the show's like having him question his constant pursuit of money over, over happiness and fulfillment and finding someone finding a partner or children or anything else like that and he stays in nevada for a couple days and then walks back into his office is like you should find pride in your work i'm here to stay and like so he didn't learn anything (laughs) he didn't (laughs) learn anything and that's how the fucking show ends but i also don't remember it's a comedy that has like a a literal score of like like when something funny happens like an ancient sound effect will occur in the score boy like what the fuck this why was this on hbo at all other than i mean (laughs) hbo didn't become hbo until after this had already been airing for a while yes wait Uh, i guess you're right because sopranos is only like two seasons in i think the third season coming up uh in like a week or two yeah we're gonna be talking about it Mm -hmm. real soon and uh that's wraps up the television for 2002 little late to the party 
Blade 2 arrives on the PS2. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, this is a bygone age when uh, adaptations of movies were just like, oh, yeah, movies stay in theater for months, don't they? Yeah. And uh, then they're on video like a solid year later. So we're fine. Um, And and video games are at this point are mostly just tie-in merchandise, no different from like a fucking beach towel or an action figure. And what happened is this probably, in order to be a competent, reasonably playable PS2 game, got delayed a lot because the studio isn't giving them any more insight into what the movie's about or access to its actors uh, at a reasonable time. So yeah, uh, shit like that took time. And then also out this week, not my favorite Armored Core. That's Armored Core 4, 4 Answer. Armored my favorite subtitle ever, for answer. Armored <laughs> Chord 3 is out on uh, PS2, and I love bringing this up because this is what the From Software guys did before they made Souls games and the best-selling game of the year, Elden Ring. They wow. were the Armored Core guys, and I, I want so much more Elden Ring, and the hints are they're going to return to Armored Core after all these Souls games. I'm like, oh, oh, good for you through gritted teeth. So this game did have an interesting thing where you can personalize your mech for the needs of each mission. And I thought that was a really good mechanic to throw into a mech game. Custom loaded. Hmm. That about wraps up 2002. Uh, one of our shortest segments ever following that one that was ravaged by Batman and Bob Roberts. But <laughs> it was worth it. Those things you should check out. Swim fan, you should maybe ignore. The 2002 segment, we say politely, move it. And <laughs> that's why we're closing out with Lucas's move, bitch, because it's on the charts this week. But don't move. We got one more segment left in 302010. Stay there. So if you do the speed limit, get the fuck out of my way. I'm DUI. ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of september 2nd through 8th i could not have a more disparate set of movies to recommend but damn i love both of them so let's start with 75 years ago this week saw the release of dark passage just the third of four movies starring humphrey bogart and lauren bacall this one is he's a guy who's escaped from stan quentin and then he gets plastic surgery and now he looks like humphrey bogart and he's going to try to figure out who done these murders that he's being framed for. Lots of shoot in San Francisco, you know, in 1947, which is pretty cool. We have a movie next week that shoots uh, live in San Francisco and makes it look great. It's not just like the usual postcard spots, but like all over. So I kind of wish they lined up better, but that's next week. This, this week we got Dark Passage from 47. And then for bad movie fans, one I have to recommend as true outsider art made for all of $25,000, Blood Freak turns 50 this week, 1972. Blood Freak is the best pro-Christian mutant turkey murder movie I've ever seen. It's very mildly pro-Christian, but is very anti-drug. Turns out, if you smoke pot, you will get addicted. You will end up on a turkey farm where they're experimenting with the turkeys, and then you will end up with a turkey head, and you want to drink people's blood. So yes, turkey-headed, drug-addled monster. The movie. I mean, yeah, obviously, Blood Freak. What, what more do you want? 
from a movie where drugs, you smoke pot, you'll turn into a turkey monster. So, yeah, for Mystery Science Theater fans, fans of, of uh, pure trash cinema, Blood Freak, definite recommend. I find it very enjoyable, especially the scene where his girlfriend starts thinking about, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe I could stay with you now that you're a turkey-headed monster, but if we had kids, maybe they'd be turkey monsters. So I don't know if I could handle that kind of motherhood. Brilliant just absolutely really gets to the heart of the characters. So that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into uh, 2012, September 2nd through the 8th, we got It's Time by Imagine Dragons off of uh, Night Visions, which is out. Welcome to our final segment, 2012, 10 years ago, the 10 of 30, 2010. New releases include one by Charlotte Church, uh, Come of Age by The Vaccines, Centipede HZ by Animal Collective, Gravity by uh, Lecrae, Failed States by Propagandi, the self-titled debut of The Sheepdogs, Elysium by The Pet Shop Boys, Coexist by The... The Double X, I hope I'm saying their name correctly. Theater is Evil by Amanda Palmer. <laughs> Wreck and Ruin by Casey Chambers and Shane Nicholson. Uh, and Three by The Script. We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together by Taylor Swift is number one. Number one. Uh, recent VMA, VMA winner, I believe. Ten years later. 2012 News. Austerity measure requires Greece to uh, increase its maximum working days to six per week. So, no! yeah. Yeah, Greece was really in a bad position right now. Mm-hmm. It was tatering on the edge of bankruptcy, which could really hurt it and was in danger of bringing down the entire Eurozone in 2012. So, it kept coming up with these alternative proposals and the eu under largely german direction kept saying no 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 and greece went well we're gonna have an election and show you we had an election so now here's what we want to do the eu no 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 (laughs) no and at the end of the day greece's per capita gdp today roughly where it was in 2008 before the crash. So they wow. lost 15 years, effectively. Wow. I, cause I, I never forgot about this, partially because I didn't understand it, but because it's like still used by people as mostly fear-mongering people on the right of like, do you want this to happen to your country? Yeah. I um, mean, it yeah. happens, but yeah. Yeah, it, it does happen, but not with Barack Obama <laughs> accepting the Democratic nomination for U.S. president this close election you know he just he just barely squeaked in and got that nomination i i think it was unanimous i think he got every delegation vote really yeah he's running for re-election i mean oh (laughs) yeah yeah unless he's really really fucked up then generally yeah you kind of get a pass through to that that explains why uh we're not going to talk about it but Movies are so rough this week that one of them is Dinesh D'Souza's first movie, 2016, Obama's America. And uh, I would love to go back and watch that now and see like, oh, yeah, it's all about how if we reelect Obama in 2016, everything will be a giant pile of garbage and we're all going to die under socialism. You know, yeah, (sighs) we're still doing the show in 10 years. I would say we're not going to cover the movies released under the Breitbart label. But that would probably yeah. be hilarious. 
Like the the the, the, the Hunter Biden biopic that's coming out now. Oh my god. That trailer made him look so cool. <laughs> made Joe look like a badass. What the hell I, are you I, doing? Yeah, I Anyway. What the hell? And see, so this is the situation at the box office now. What are human beings doing if not seeing movies? Because the possession is still number one at the box office. Yeah, yeah. by a lot. By a lot. Mm. <laughs> no one else. Just, they don't care. Yeah. Don't. And I don't know. I'd never heard of any but movie but the last one going into the show. Mm. Um, but first up, we got Justin Kirk. India and Mugwa. I'm trying to do my best John Travolta. Rosemary DeWitt, Olivia Olivia Thrillby. Sarah's not here to make that joke, make her laugh. Damn. Um, Kiss me, kill me, Olivia Thrillby. <laughs> kill me, kill me. Yes. Uh, John <laughs> and John Krasinski in Nobody Walks. Super indie movie about uh, a woman who moves into like the guest house in a fancy part of L.A. trying to get her shit together and. Turns out, I don't know, she does. John Krasinski takes an interest in her, helps her out with that. I think it's called Nobody Walks because the idea that nobody walks in L.A. Except for Ian McKellen. So I want to walk in L.A. <laughs> so I can just accidentally run into Ian McKellen, which I've seen happen a couple times. Um, <laughs> yeah, nobody walks, nobody cares. I'm sorry. We're just moving on. Two, Joseph Ma Mall? Please, you know what? I feel like a dick. Put in the comments if you've seen Nobody Walks or honestly sure. any of these movies. Right. Because uh, they do not have good reputations. But usually there's like one good performance in them or a good idea. And yeah. I feel I feel like a jerk with just completely dismissing someone's art. So uh, what about on. what about uh, Joseph Mall, Oscar? Hinata? Hinata? What the hell is that name? Rosli <laughs> Zem? Um Veronica, what are you doing to me? Who? Where's this movie set? <laughs> Veronica Ekigu, Ekigui, Ekigui. I bet it's that. Sigourney Weaver and Bruce Willis and Henry Cavill in uh, the Cold Light of Day. Never heard of this film. Yeah, I hadn't either. It sounds like the kind of thing that usually goes direct to video here in the U.S. Indeed. And you find it, someone selling it on a street in Bucharest. But no, it went to theaters. <laughs> and there's so many. I. I I can't express. There are so many movies that we, I, I see as I'm doing the research. It's like, this has big stars and name people. And I find out it went direct to DVD in the U S and it's like, how, how can there be this many movies that we don't even know about? Yeah. Just, didn't get released or no one had faith in them. I'm telling you, man. Someone was doing someone a favor. I don't know. You know this one you actually did through, go to theaters. You don't walk through a Walmart once a month. You have no idea what Bruce Willis and John Cusack are doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this one, it's it, it's a spy thriller. It's trying to be a born movie where uh, Henry Cavill is actually a CIA agent and his family gets kidnapped and it's somehow his dad, Bruce Willis, is involved. Something, something. I think Sigourney Weaver's the handler. Can she be trusted? She's probably not. So. Indeed. It's got like a 12 on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. All right. So what year could Bruce Willis no longer open a film? Mm. <sighs> He's always a name. He's a name. People know, know his name. But when it's like we put Bruce Willis' name on the front, we get asses in seats. I, I don't know. I'm I, I, the, the, the end point I'm putting on it, if you watch the Bruce Willis roast, the best reason to watch it is Edward Norton roasting him. Because one, he's talking about <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom, which Bruce Willis was in that Wes Anderson movie. And I don't think he moved the needle on that because I think the Wes Anderson audience could care less if Bruce Willis is in it. And Bruce Willis fans could care less about Wes Anderson movies. But then he talks about like, uh, and then Bruce got my movie greenlit by saying he'd be in it. And that was, oh my God, I forget. what was that Ed Norton directed movie? Oh, uh, Motherless Brooklyn? Motherless Brooklyn. I don't think anybody saw that movie, James. 
are. And he says <laughs> it was greenlit partially on Bruce Willis agreeing to do it. So I, whatever year that was, and that was like only a couple of years ago. But but mm-hmm. he's like, I think he's retired now. So let's go easy on Uncle Bruce. He, if you walk through a Walmart, he is he's in like ten thousand movies you have never heard of. A lot of them, because he was really just doing this this shit for the money and as many of them as possible for like the last five to ten years. What's mm-hmm. the last big Bruce Willis movie you can think of? Probably a sequel to something. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you count the Expendables, I would count that. Glass yeah, is the we last. Just talked about the yeah Expendables too. We talked about what a couple weeks ago. Glass mm-hmm. is the last Bruce Willis movie I saw in theaters. The sequel oh, to yeah. you know. The Shyamalan verse and terrible. <laughs> God, it's over. But yeah, yeah, Bruce, Brucey boy. Uh, whatever. We all get old. <laughs> we, yeah, we but him, old. him showing up for a smaller part in you know a good indie movie was he'd been doing that most of his career and was very yeah. smart about it. You know, yeah. he's not the lead in Pulp Fiction, but he helped get it made and he's great in it. He Pulp Fiction and Nobody's Fool, two amazing movies. Go. He didn't take the starring role in, which is something he hadn't really done before. Those movies are fantastic and came out months yeah. apart. Uh, they, they're played my my family's household all the all the time. Same can't be said for Ben Barnes, Olivia Wilde, uh, Dennis Quaid, Zoe Saldana, Jeremy Irons, Bradley Cooper in the words. The words. <laughs> the words. Uh, made by some of Bradley Cooper's friends from childhood. <laughs> Which, yay! Again, yeah. You know, use use your use your cachet to get something made to help your buddies out. That's mm-hmm. cool. Um, this has. Like the idea of it seems simple enough, but then they kind of make it more confusing. The idea that like Bradley Cooper is a writer. He doesn't have any ideas. He finds an antique briefcase that's got a manuscript in it. He passes the manuscript off on his, as his own. He becomes rich and famous. And then the original author is like, you stole my shit. <laughs> like there's a lot of directions that can go now. Mm-hmm. This one goes kind of the sappier romanticary one. Yes. This was a nah. yeah, romantic movie. Couldn't yeah. really get into it. No, I, I ended up not finishing it. I kind of like started it and I was like, I like all these people. Let's, uh, where is this going to go? And I look where it's going to go. I'm like, mm, I don't know if I can stick it out. Unlike our next movie, which a lot of other people felt the same way about of like, I don't uh, know if I can stick this out. It, and I ended up really liking. Yeah, it's a rare one where like, I did, didn't want to say it was bad. It's just like, this is really, really, really not for me. And mm. even though... I sort of like what they were doing, sort of like everyone seems to be playing a, l- a little bit of a heightened cartoon character in this film. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Donald Gleason, Ruth Wilson, Alicia Vikander, Emily Watson, Olivia Williams, Matthew McFadden, uh, Kelly McDonald, Aaron Johnson, Jude Law, Keira Knightley, and Anna Karenina. Romantic love will be the last illusion of the old order. At the twilight of an empire, an affair shocked the nation. I must warn you about something. Warn me. You may, by indiscretion, give the world occasion to talk about you. From the director of Atonement and Pride and Prejudice. So this is love. Kira Knightley. Jude Law. And this is what you want. Do you know what you want? Anna Karenina. Rated R. Anna Karenina. Tell me about Anna Karenina, Diana. I'm counting how many versions of Anna Karenina there have been. Give me a second. <laughs> One, two, three, four, seven, eight, twelve, fifteen. Uh, I think about sixteen or seventeen movies made out of Jesus. Anna Karenina, which is um pretty simple story, honestly. And uh this one fleshes it out more. Sticking with the novel pretty well, adapted by Tom Stoppard, who also did Shakespeare in Love, also did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. And I don't love. 
yeah, that, that movie's fun too. And I mean, tells the basic story. It's very stylized though. Mm-hmm. And that, that people, some critics were not down with the stylized because a lot of it seems to take place in a theater. And sometimes they like open the door to the theater and it'll be like a frozen lake. And sometimes it'll be a different place. So it's it sometimes had, it had like it, a, it's not really literally taking place where it seems to be taking place. It had a like visually it, had, it gave me like some weird Hugo vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Something kind of well, semi dreamlike and uh, uh, yes. everybody's mustache is puffy. <laughs> oh, the mustaches are amazing. <laughs> They're truly some of the best mustaches you ever saw. Yeah. So, I mean, the locations are more about mood than they are about like literalness, which would be fine mm-hmm. because most of it just takes place in a couple rooms where people go like, how dare you? <laughs> and yeah, it tells a, I mean, a pretty basic story. Kira Knightley's Anna Karenina. She's married to stuffy, boring Jude Law with a bad comb over. She falls in love with Aaron Johnson before he was Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson. A scandalo, and then um, one of the the classic tropes of humanity of psychology itself was already brought to life in an 1877 novel, which is like if he cheated with you, yep, cheat mm. on you, and she becomes like super paranoid about the entire relationship, and then throws herself in front of a train. The end. Yeah, Tolstoy fucking nailed something about relationships that we still deal with to this day in 1877. Uh. I, I gotta wonder what the first example of that is, because I gotta think it's uh, ancient Greek somewhere. There's gotta be someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She 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 can never be actually happy in this relationship. Yeah, no matter what, she can't be happy in her. any relationship now because well, maybe I should have left my husband. Maybe I should. Uh, you're no Vronsky. I want Vronsky. Oh no, I have Vronsky. Do I want Vronsky? Yeah, yeah. I think Kira Knightley fucking nails it. And yeah, actually, for everyone nails it. It's a really solid cast, and it's gorgeous to look at. The costumes are ridiculous, and yeah, it, it split critics pretty bad though because they're like, "Why are you stylizing things that don't need to be stylized?" Like the scene takes place in a bedroom, just have it be in a bedroom, and it's like, no, it <laughs> takes place on stage in a theater because that's how they feel. Okay, yeah. I don't, I really liked it. I I've seen three other versions of Anacarina and I think this is the one I like the most. Okay. I was going to ask that. Yeah. So this is the one people Sorry. Want. Sorry, Greta Garbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't get... Yeah, I feel like if you needed to watch a movie of this, this would be a good one to watch. And yes, Joe Wright, like I said, did Atonement, which I fucking love, so yeah. Yeah, I did... Uh, Shut up, weird critics. I did about 30 minutes and just like, I unlike, I did all of David Lynch last week, um, I'm not mm. I'm not a good person to appraise whether this is good or not because this still reeks of everything my mother was playing in Masterpiece Theater that would send me running from the room. But it is on HBO Max, <laughs> so it didn't cost me anything to try. Right. But but not for Fair me. Enough. I'm glad it found its audience. Ready for TV? Yep. Sure. TV. Uh, I remember seeing a billboard for this, and I was super excited that Mr. Rogers' universe will live on. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood debuts on PBS Kids Aww. 10 years ago. So I was very glad to have this exist. I tried to get my kids interested in Mr. Rogers when they were fairly young. Oh, boy. But even at a young age, it was too slow to them. It's time had just passed them by or they none of their friends liked it. Couldn't get them very interested in it. Did show them a couple episodes of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. So they did watch those and they liked that. And that just brought a smile to my eye that a little part of that lived on. Yeah. And oddly enough, I actually did have some success 
with the original Mr. Rogers years later when the shutdown hit. Okay, we huh. were all locked in place. We were okay. trying to get control of our anger, trying to get control of our emotions in a stressful time. And I just made it, okay, it's after school. We're watching a Mr. Rogers episode. The purpose <laughs> is to calm down, to like get me too. I'm going to watch Mr. Rogers right now and just bring my chill level up a few notches because I am not chill. But after watching Mr. Rogers, yeah, I can let's get a little more calm. And I'll always be happy that I had those memories with my kids of just watching. We only did it for like uh, a month at most. But it was very it's significant. Soothing. It's so, so soothing. Yeah, it looks like uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood did a special about COVID in wow. August 2020. Oh, but those which kids. Is tough for, yeah, an animated yeah. show. How can you be bored by yeah, a trip? It's animated, to... right? It's not Daniel Stripe and Tiger, though. How can you be bored by a trip to the Crayon Factory? I don't get it. Um, that's. Yeah. But, but again, I've I. I've gone back and <laughs> watched the Mr. Rogers, too. Most of the time, I'm like, wait, that was. Keith David was the handyman. That whole guy. <laughs> uh, I I always tell that story because I love telling Mr. Rogers stories. I loved that documentary. I thought it was mm. I yeah very very tear inducing. And I was telling my mom about it. No, oh, that's weird. I'm like why? Like you really hated Mr. Rogers. I'm like what? I I hated Mr. Rogers. Like yeah, you complained every time he was on. You were Sesame Street kid. You didn't have time for that. And I'm like. Fuck. I did. I hated Mr. Rogers. Damn. I never wanted to see myself like that. But those puppets are just nightmare fuel. All of his puppets. <laughs> All of his puppets. Also this week, Steve Harvey debuts in syndication. And, uh, this is the talk show. The talk right? show. Yeah, the talk show. Yeah. And not the Steve Harvey show. Or the no. Steve Harvey morning show. Yes. No. Or the Family Feud just show. Just Steve Harvey. Or Family yeah. Feud. Or Celebrity Family Feud. <laughs> no. None of those. None of those. When does he debut his bald head? Because the funniest, I think it's show. The I think funniest this... observations. <laughs> we were watching Kings of Comedy and Sam like, dude, his hairline looks digital. That looks that looks impossible. <laughs> like, oh my god, it does. This is like standard definition. And then he finally just, uh, yeah, came at his bald ten years ago. When, lastly, on television, we got the VMAs, which I guess were held again this last week. Um, yeah, this last, last week. week. Yep. After a COVID break. But 10 years in the future, who's our host? Kevin Hart, of course. What are some interesting wins here? Don't make me go through the whole thing. We got Rihanna winning Video of the Year for We Found Love. And Chris Brown winning for Turn Up the Music. It's so great to see them on the same stage together. Mm. Chris Brown getting an award. I was reading about this this week's v, uh, VMA, the 2022 VMA wrap-ups. And I just one of those... I know I'm not going to have heard of some of these people, but the sentence, Nicki Minaj did a performance encompassing her entire career. I'm like, what? Nicki Minaj wins Best Female Video 10 years ago. To me, she is a brand spanking new musician because I cannot <laughs> name a song by her yet, but I know who she is and what she looks like. Best Male Video, One Direction, or Best New Artist, One Direction. Were they new? 10 years ago? Yeah. 10 years ago, they were new. Damn. All yeah. right. Um, Hello, I mean, gosh, beating fun Carly Rae Jepsen, Frank Ocean, and The Wanted. Unbelievable. Like, the Wanted. Those had, are generally still around. Yeah. Mostly. Take okay. your word for it. Best rock video, Coldplay Paradise. Best hip hop video, Drake, featuring Lil Wayne. Don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm not going to try. So I don't want to sound uncool. It's a hyphen. 
How do you say it? Probably hyper. Okay. Hyper. But that's the little glimpse of the VMAs back when MTV was associated with music and not Target t-shirts. Still wasn't associated with music in 2012. I don't know where people saw these videos. Like, you don't even, they're not even on MTV's website, are they? You have to look them up on YouTube and then, you you know, who's out? If you remember, I think 10 years ago, they were mostly reality shows, but they still had that cushy deal saying like, we might show your video, but if you send us your video, you're also giving us license to use your music in all of our reality shows. And unlike other shows, MTV would play music under Jersey Shore and you they would even like give a little tag like this is the song, this is the artist. Mm-hmm. And they were doing that under the reality shows. So you still were getting new music exposed on MTV, but it was through Teen Mom yeah. ten years ago. <laughs> You're not going to get it from uh, ridiculousness unless you like Devo. Moving into the video, the video game of 2012, Mark of the Ninja for Xbox Live. Yeah, so this is a real interesting 2D game uh, where you play a ninja. Now, in a lot of ninja games, like, say, Ninja Gaiden, you don't actually do any stealth. You're Mm -hmm. just like this one-man killing machine out there in the open in broad daylight (laughs) in your black outfit. It's like, I am stranding on the street, the master of stealth, as I kill 10 people right in front of me. Yeah, we got throwing stars. is actually about the stealth, uh, which is hard to do in a 2D environment, but it succeeds pretty well. Right. I thought I played this, but I don't think I did, actually. And I think I got a remaster at some point, but very well regarded, I think. And then, yeah, that is almost it for a show. We got to tell you who lived and died during this period, but get get some plugs out. Listen to Laser Time. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse. Oh, boy, we're talking clowns this week. As as well as turtles. You'll figure it out. Clowns and turtles. Are those still popular? That was on every kid in the 70s bedspread. Patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks. You can hear us talk about Blade Runner. Soon to come, Friday the 13th, Halloween 3, among other things. Throw us five bucks. Support the show. Support us. Thank you guys so much. Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we start getting real movies back after this weird bunch of August into September. Real movies like a one about a bunch of hackers with, like, I think the most Oscar-nominated cast in the history of the universe. I mean, what the fuck? Is that the San Francisco movie? That's the San Francisco movie. Yes. Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier and River Phoenix and Android and Ben Kingsley and Mary McDonald. Yes. Yeah. That movie. And I just saw uh, our local SF paper just had an article about this movie actually rules. It's amazing. And if that wasn't enough, we do have another movie with a giant cast that leads to a whole bunch of movies. So, you know, time to head to the barbershop, yo. Oh. Get your edges done. And we also have the all the new cartoon shows. All of them. Oh, goodness. Oh, we yeah. have the debut oh, of, all of a barbarian, a puppet, a half fish, half woman, a talking mouse in the West, a creepy family, cowboys on a mesa, a cat that is scared. I'm not looking ahead, duck. and I don't know any of these yet. And that's just the 92 ones. The 2002 ones, we have a dog with clues. We have a girl who explores. Oh, my God. Is that yeah a puff ball that eats everything? That I don't know. Oh, I can't wait. My time to shine. Uh, it also plugs uh, whenever I have my headphones on. Siri reads your name is like Junior says. <laughs> Junior says you can find me on the Twitter at J R R A L L S. <laughs> and uh die who died during this period of T three? Well, in two thousand two, we lost a guy named Uziel Gal. 
That name's kind of interesting. He invented the Uzi. He named it after himself. I was going to say. Jesus. I do wonder sometime which gun has killed the most people. I bet it's either hmm. the AK-47. Probably the AK. I don't think it's the Uzi, but I, I think it's up there on the I don't list. think that's in a lot it's of combat up. scenarios. And, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of AKs in every... Oh, most of the footage I see from overseas, <laughs> whenever there's turmoil, there's an AK-47. Hmm. Yeah. It's well. It's durable. It does its job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the AK's been pretty popular for a long time. But then, in 2012, God damn it! Yeah, this still Ten sucks. years ago this week, I'm still mad about it. We lost Michael Clark Duncan, who was only 54. Yeah. Had a heart attack. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a great comedy sketch on a guy saying, "You all know Michael Clark Duncan, don't you?" Silence from the audience. Okay, he's the ginormous black guy who's in every movie that needs a ginormous black guy. <laughs> he did. I didn't... Completely true. Even even Green Lantern, where he's a digital ginormous black guy. Yeah, really, really like that guy, but he huh. was fucking huge. I don't... Yeah. I, Can you I... imagine just walking in the street and, like, bumping into Michael Clark Duncan? Yeah, yeah. It was just like... Not, even in, not in a mean way. He's being p- perfectly polite, but you just aren't looking and you bump into it and you look up and up and up and up you'd bounce right off him yeah six foot five yeah just like that's pretty tall that's not crazy tall but he he was was such body-wise a a great kingpin and i love vincent Mm onofrio has the role now and he's just like you just keep making him look fatter not taller and bigger Mm -hmm. but michael clark tungan was perfect for that yeah also i did not realize at the time of his passing he was dating omarosa yeah, and his family has accused her of like selling some of his shit that wasn't hers to sell. Hmm. Wow, you... I finally have something about her I don't like. <laughs> I was looking for the joke. I was looking for the joke. God yeah. damn it! Yeah, and then uh, another person like, "Gosh, what a great guy." We lost uh, the Reverend Sun Young Moon, who is ninety-two. That's the head of the Unification Church, aka the Moonies, aka the people who put out the Washington Times, and his son runs that gun church. Um, where they worship AR-15s, and they influence a lot of far-right politics in ways that are not good, mm. including getting Shinzo Abe shot. Oh, yeah, that wasn't good. Now, that's why the former Japanese prime minister was just shot, because Unification Church ruined that guy's mom's life, ruined the whole family's life, and he decided, like, I'm mad at them, but I can't take it out on them. I'm going to take it out on a guy who takes money from them. Mm-hmm. And so built a gun and shot a former prime minister, and the, everyone's reaction seems to be, Oh, actually, he's got a point there. Probably. Yeah, yeah not, not don't, a, don't, don't, uh, don't go with that point. That's not a good. I don't pathway. think it's a good. I don't think it's a good point. You should, you assassinate someone, you just martyr them. That's why you should never try to assassinate people. Just like they showed us in Bob Roberts. Mm-hmm. You you make someone a hero if you take a shot at them. It's true. Don't do it. And once don't again, don't do it. No, no, no. Put that go. down, listener. No, <laughs> said no. Watch Japan immediately pass a law to make sure however that dude made that gun never happen again. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Just don't. Uh, anyway, so that's the death, folks. That's Well, sucks. with that fun information out of the way, it's time for the what? JR, you want to introduce the It's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning an even 50, 50. born 50. September 6, 1972, in the London borough of Hackney. Ooh, mm. I have friends in Hackney. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right. He briefly attended Barking and Dagenham College. Oh, Barking and Dagenham. <laughs> Dagenham. Dagenham. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. But he worked odd jobs, including cold calling and night shifts at a Ford store. A Ford store? He was, yeah. Were they sold Fords? Were they sold Fords. In London? <laughs> I, that's what it says. <laughs> okay. okay. He had a role in a 2001 episode of Law and Order. Oh, that is that narrows it down. That's, yeah, it narrows it down to every actor that ever lived. All right. Okay. Christopher as soon Malone. as I start saying what he's in, you're going to know it instantly. So I'm going to try to go with an obscure one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in 2008, he was in the number one ladies detective agency on show on HBO. Oh. Adrian Brody? I... No. No. Um, in 2005, he portrayed Captain Muganza in Sometimes April, an HBO film about the Rwandan genocide. Idris Elba? It is Fuck! him. Yeah! Yes. Fuck! I was pretty sure he was on number one detective. Ladies yeah, detective but, agency, but I was going to make I was going to start talking about, obviously, The Wire, and as soon as I said that, you would get it. Yeah. And then his role in uh, The Office as uh, the replacement of Dunbar Mifflin. Wow, you know it's even more? I didn't know that dude was seven years older than me. I look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> what the? F- Damn, yeah. I love Andrew it. Zelda is in like four movies coming out this week. Yeah. He's yeah. busy. I'm glad because he is really cool. What is, oh shit, what's the detective show that he was on? Shit, the one word one? Number one ladies detective agency. No, it's no, the British one. no. No, oh. Brommer. Luther. 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 Yeah. Brommer. That's where I was going. Oh. That show was freaking cool. Love Idris Elba. Love you guys for listening. Patreon.com slash time. if you want to support us. Tell a friend about the show. Follow our hosts on Twitter if you feel uh, so behooved. I'm going to close out, as Tim Robbins never wanted us to, with a song from Bob Roberts. Off of the album, which I still think had a laugh out loud moment, all of us... Albums sound like Bob Dylan's albums, but it's the times are changing back. <laughs> it's this Republican folk singer's album. And this song, Complain, is so happy and so foul and awful and, and cruel. And just, oh, I love this movie so much. So find it any way you can. Show it to someone you know and depress the hell out of them with a smile. Yeah. If you're in Pennsylvania, for Fetterman. Do we need to tell you not to vote wait- for Dr. Oz? I'm waiting for him to start singing. Just try it. Just try it. Well, we're going to close up with Complain. Some people will work. Oh. <laughs> Others will not. <laughs> They'll complain and complain. We're going to harmonize. Uh, Jack, you can hear Jack Black in some of the background vocals. He was a uh, part of that acting troupe, Tim Robbins and hmm. John Cusa. Actors Gang, is that what they're called? That's why they're in so many movies yeah. together. They're, yeah, that's true. All it's of like, them hey, are in uh, high fidelity. All, this, all the high fidelity cast is all right here. Mm-hmm. How about that? Cradle will rock, all that stuff. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Some people will work. Some simply will not. But they'll complain.